For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Good morning, it's Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prendeville Show for this Friday morning. And straight to business, we're going to skip our morning review of the radio uh, of the uh, newspapers and stay uh, on the radio with Barry Roach, Southern correspondent with the Irish Times. A man has presented to A&E at the COH this morning after being shot on the Glashian Road. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Mick. How are you doing? Good. What can you tell us so far? Yeah, details are pretty sketchy still, but we understand that this man, he's 42, and he presented at CUH around half five this morning and said he'd been shot um, coming from an apartment, I think, uh, on Glashing Road, opposite Maxwell there at the top of Glashing Road. Uh, he managed to get into his car and drive to CUH. Obviously, it's on a huge distance, but I gathered after arriving, presenting at the emergency department, he collapsed and lost consciousness, so he's been rushed into surgery. Garda Press have put out a statement saying that he's in a stable condition at COH, so hopefully he'll pull through. But obviously Garda have launched an investigation. Very early days yet, as I said, there's a conference going on at the moment in Toka Garda Station, coordinating what they're going to do. But the area has been cordoned off. Uh, Garda technical experts have begun a forensic examination of the scene, see if they can recover any items there. For example, cartridges or casings from the from the, the weapon that was used. We don't know at this stage whether there was how many times the man was shot, uh, whether there was one gunman or more, how the person arrived at the scene, the shooter, as it were, and how they left. So that's all being examined. And of course, what will be critical in this as well, as we saw in, in another case in the city this week, CCTV footage. So Gardaí will be harvesting that from around the Glasheen Road area yeah. there at the end to see if they can gather anything. It's a busy enough area. It happens, sorry, between five, uh, before half, uh, between five and half five this morning. Uh, Gardaí are appealing for anybody travelling there between, uh, I think, five and 5.45am to um, contact them at Toker. Particularly anxious to speak to any motorists who might have dash cam footage. Uh, and it's a busy enough area that I would imagine people going to see you here people going maybe to uh, come in to see um, UCC the other way M- uh, MTU formerly CIT and obviously it's Wilton Shopping Centre so hopefully they'll pick up something there but uh, early days yet an investigation but very shocking I mean Cork has been relatively quiet you know something like this yeah. The obvious benefits of course uh, and, and that's if it's obviously happened in the CUH area on Dashing Road uh, any, um, any idea as to whether the man is local or was just in the area when it happened? Uh, my understanding is he's living locally, he's originally from the north side, but uh, I mean, in that sense, the fact that it's only, whatever, I suppose less than five minutes with traffic lights and everything up to COH, and initially he was able to get and drive there, so that's uh, it's obviously very fortunate, um, but he, as I say, my understanding is he collapsed shortly after arriving there, so he's presumably undergoing surgery at the moment, but um, no, it's... Uh, you know, beautiful morning here in Cork. I'm just trying to figure out myself. Uh, five five thirty. It's beginning to break. I suppose at this stage, in, uh, this time of the year. It's, yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be pretty much daylight around that time. But yeah, if, if it, it happened, it happened around five, maybe just in the in the the twinkling of dawn. But Guardian, yeah, appealing to anyone who is in this area, the Wilton area of Cork City, this morning between five a.m. So that must be the uh, critical time, and five forty-five a.m., which is probably after he got to the uh, CUH, uh, who may have noticed anything unusual, to contact Toker Garda Station on 021-494-7120. The Garda Confidential Line is one eight hundred triple six triple one, or any Garda station. And as you say, an area nearby at Glashine Road has been sealed off. So. Obviously, investigations now are ongoing, and the man is in a stable condition. Yes, and hopefully, hopefully he'll, he'll pull through. And uh, Gardaí would imagine they're experienced investigators, so um, I have no doubt they'll be going through this procedurally. 
as I say, according off the area technical examination, CCTV, door to door inquiries, uh, inquiring. As I say, uh, there's they're keeping an open mind on it because there's no obvious or known motive for this, so they'll obviously be hoping to speak to. Yeah, and interviewing the man the himself, of course. Point. Health comes and first, and his recovery comes first. But they'll be anxious to speak to him too. Yeah, anxious to speak to him. So. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, I suppose a, a major uh, investigation ahead for them, but they've, they've started and um, hopefully it'll okay. yield. Uh, uh, Any, anything else, Barry? Is is probably mere speculation. So we thank you for. Absolutely, at this stage, yeah. it would be wrong. I think you know to, yeah. to speculate and. Uh, you know, it may be a case, for example, of a mistaken identity. It happens. You know, okay. are, um, we we saw one in Limerick there some years ago. Shane Gagan, poor man, was shot in the wrong way. Somebody, in. so you know, yeah. it's um, understand. Open mind, I think, at this stage. Thanks, Barry, and good morning to you. Thank you once again for joining us. Barry Roach, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times. Uh, I just want to give you the, uh, the detail here in a moment on uh, our big, big winners on the cash machine yesterday. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. Now, when it comes to senior cabinet ministers being generous with their time on this programme, none has been more generous than the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath. Good morning to you, Minister. Uh, good morning to you, Mick. Thank, thanks for coming on. My first interview with you as Minister, so congrats on that one. And I know the last t- two times we spoke, it was a bit of a ding-dong battle. Uh, gave you some very tough grillings and going over. Uh, what I'm looking for today is really for you to be a source of information on, on a number of topics. But can, as I love to do, start off with a little bit of fun? Don't get worried now, this is for fun, okay? <laughs> okay, on, yeah. two of your constituents, Stephen Ring and his wife Helen from Wilton, won €40,547.14 yesterday uh, on our cash machine. Can you, as Minister for Finance, uh, tell me and guarantee them that this will not be taxed? Oh, well, my understanding is that lottery winnings generally are uh, are exempt uh, from tax, certainly national lottery, so they won it on... It's a, it was, it's a game of skill. Machine. A game of skill. Uh, and who was the operator? Who was the the Go Loud network of radio stations? I'm just looking for a soundbite. Okay, it, it, it is it isn't taxable. I just wanted the minister for finance oh, to say. Yeah, I, I suspect it isn't taxable. <laughs> yeah, certainly lottery winnings generally are not taxable, and um, but it may well need to be uh, an official and a registered one, which I assume it is. Uh, but happy to check it out. Properly no no problem. Answer, but but in general, lottery winnings are exempt. that was meant that was meant to be a bit of fun. Now then, in a former lifetime, you were the financial controller of this radio station. Did you ever? ever in your wildest dreams think you'd be dealing for the nation's sake with a surplus of an expected 65 billion euro? Well, look, it's a privilege to hold this office, Mick, for sure. And I'm very conscious of, you know, all of my predecessors, many of whom had to deal with huge budgetary challenges, you know, budget deficits every year and had to introduce cutbacks and reduce public pay and reduce welfare payments and had to make incredibly difficult decisions. So we are in a positive overall position financially. It hasn't happened by accident. It's happened because uh, of the uh, wealth and jobs created by the private sector and the fact that uh, government, uh, for a number of years, has been pursuing you know, pro-enterprise policies. We have a country uh, that is really successful in international trade and so on. So that's, I think, the starting point. is not, well, what are we going to do with the money? It's how do we get to this position? Because I'm sitting around the table in Europe uh, every month with uh, my finance minister colleagues from other countries. And, you know, many of them are in a far, far different position to the one we're in. And they are looking at deficits and how, after COVID, they can make up the cost that they had to incur to support their economies and their households. And I suppose what I should say is, you know, the talk of 65 billion, it is a forecast. 
Uh, this is not money that we have today. So we did have a surplus last year of uh, 8 billion euro. We are projecting a surplus this year uh, of around 10 billion euro and we do think the surplus will grow uh, in the coming years. But the note of caution, Mick, really is that those surpluses are generally coming from what we regard as windfall corporation tax receipts. They are receipts that we don't think will continue They're not recurring. into the future. They won't They're be not recurring. recurring. And so the one thing that we can't do, because this would really store up huge problems for the future, is if we made uh, permanent spending commitments or indeed permanent tax reductions on the back of those receipts. So a lot of people say to me, well, why don't you abolish the USC? universal social charge you know we know it's it's hated as a tax it brings in about five billion euro a year if i were to abolish that um next year and yes we'd have the funding to do it next year but that's a cost we'd have to meet every single year and if we're funding it from windfall receipts when those windfall receipts stop coming in all of a sudden i have a five billion euro hole in the public finances and then we have to fill that by you know by more borrowing uh, or by cutting spending or increasing taxes. So we, we need to be careful in the decisions that we make with the windfall receipts. It's a good position to be in, and it does give us choices to make. Um, but I'm also looking at the fact that the demographics are changing. We are aging. We have a young population, but the trend is very clear. You know, the cost of providing uh, pensions, of home care, of health care, uh, of nursing home care is going to increase significantly over the years ahead. And so we do need to provide uh, for the costs that we know are definitely coming our way. So what I'm looking uh, at proposing to government is uh, kind of a three-pronged approach to the surpluses that we expect to generate. One is to put funding away uh, into a reserve fund that will be invested that will earn a rate of return and then we can use that return to fund the costs that are definitely coming away over the coming years. Uh, the second option is to use some of the, the, the funding to pay down the national debt. Uh, we have a national debt of about 220 billion euro. We spend about 4 billion every year on interest serving the national debt. If you could save and that, that would be a recurring saving. That would be recurring savings. So there may be opportunities to reduce the debt and therefore reduce the amount of interest that we pay. And the third area that uh, we will provide funding uh, for is uh, additional targeted capital investment in the economy, uh, delivering public infrastructure, uh, building homes uh, that we know we so badly need because it's not necessarily recurring every year uh, capital investment. We already have a large programme of over 12 billion a year and so there may be opportunities to do more. Yeah, because I'm, go, I'm going to get texts why didn't you ask him to fix the health problem? Why didn't you ask him to fix the housing problem? Why didn't you ask him to fix the homelessness problem? As Minister for Finance, you and your predecessors, do you have to constantly defend yourself by saying, hang on a second, uh, I'm no longer the Minister for Public Expenditure, I am not the Minister for uh, Social Welfare, I'm not the Minister for Housing and I'm not the Minister for Health. Look, I don't abdicate responsibility or pass it on to anybody else. I have a key role in government and I do have a say in all of the major government decisions. And when we make decisions, we make them collectively. So I'm happy um, insofar as I can to answer for any decision of government, um, including any colleague um, uh, of mine. Like We will make improvements in those areas with this money, um, but it will be more in the capital side. But what I should say, Mick, is that looking at the taxes that I believe we can reasonably expect to collect every year, there will be an annual budget where we will have the funding to do uh, many of those things. So in the budget in the autumn and in the following year, uh, I absolutely expect that we will be in a position to improve welfare payments, uh, to cut income tax, 
to improve uh, our public services by means of more investment uh, and to increase capital investment in, in roads and infrastructure and so on like that. Okay. So we will, we will be able to do that from recurring taxes. All right, I, I need to move on to other areas. Yeah. Inflation sure. falling, Michael, to 7.2% in April from 77 in March. Food prices continuing to be a concern for the government, uh, calling in the supermarket chains to, to bring in some hefty and immediate price reductions. How is that going? Well, Minister Neil Richmond had a meeting with all of the main retailers uh, during the week and uh, he felt it was a very constructive meeting. Um, he would have made the point very clearly to the retailers that as their input costs fall, as the cost of energy falls, as their other input costs fall, we do expect the prices at the tills to fall as well. We've seen some very small reductions so far in you know important daily items, bread and milk and butter, uh, but I do think we need to see far more. Uh, food inflation is running much higher than general inflation, and that is a concern. And uh, we do expect that as those costs fall, we expect those to be passed on uh, to the consumers. We have a competition body in Ireland. They have extensive powers. They are monitoring the retail sector uh, very, very closely. They have come back to government with a preliminary view because uh, it has been suggested to us that we should introduce price caps. Um, the view of the competition body is that that would not be a good idea for a number of reasons. Uh, they feel that it could have unintended consequences, that the products that are not the subject of the price cap then could be pushed up uh, to make up for the lost revenues, and um, that it could have an impact on the primary producer, on farmers, uh, that it could have an impact on smaller retailers, and it might be very difficult to end them. So, look, we, we consider all of that, but there will be a further meeting in the next uh, six weeks, and we'll see what progress can be made uh, to press down prices. Okay, CSO noting as well the cost of education and transport were the only divisions to show a decrease when compared uh, to previous times. Other stuff has been going on, of course. The Tullamore mortgage verdict. Uh, can I ask you why? Why are mortgage operators, to whom we we essentially give no permission for our mortgage to be sold to, allowed by the central bank to operate in this country with, without um, giving all of the facilities like a fixed rate term uh, that the the banks are um, compelled to do? Yeah. So the, the, the central bank has a mortgage code, Code of Conduct of Mortgage Arrears. It lays out um, a whole suite of different options uh, that sh- can be made available to borrowers who are in difficulty with their mortgage. That can include going interest only, getting a pause in your payment, capitalising arrears, uh, split mortgage, uh, fixed mortgage rate and so on. The, uh, the, the banks and the loan owners are not compelled at the moment to offer a fixed rate. And so Pepper uh, and some other non-bank uh, loan owners are not offering fixed rates. Um, I do think that's a gap. I've spoken to the central bank about it. They are responsible for that code and they administer it. Um, I've made a submission to the review of the uh, as a consumer protection code being reviewed. Uh, I do think that they should offer fixed rates, but not just offer them, but they would need to be competitively priced. There's no point offering a fixed rate of, of you know, 10% or 12%. So I do welcome the judgment uh, through the insolvency system by the court in Tullamore. And I think it does um, uh, provide uh, a way forward for some borrowers who are in difficulty. But uh, like what I would say, because if people are challenged you now by the high interest rates, and many are because they've seen their mortgages really climb if they're on a tracker uh, or they're on a variable, they should engage with their lender. There is no reason why anybody should fall into arrears who's making a genuine effort to pay their mortgage and they shouldn't be falling into arrears because of interest rate hikes. The solutions are there and they should be put in place 
and the regulator uh, is supervising now very actively all of these um, loan owners and banks to make sure that they do treat people sympathetically and on a case-by-case basis and I'll be watching that very closely. Okay, I can only quickly visit each topic, Minister, because of the constraints on your time. Uh, But I want to mention the impending hate speech bill. Uh, and I've got to get to another one or two as well. Uh, the, sure. the, the vague nature of, the, uh, of, of, of the, the parlance, if you like, the language of the bill that exists so far, has given rise to worry. We spoke to Senator Ronan Mullen, uh, who was very eloquent in, in his demanding of, uh, we need more specifics and we cannot have hate speech legislation that favours elements of society over others. Well, what are your feelings? I'm not asking for um, a, a battle here or, or to get into anything uh, you know, anything specific. What are your feelings on the impending hate speech bill, given the oxygen, of course, by Donald Trump Jr. and Elon Musk? Uh, it's propelled yeah. it in, 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 into the public psyche now. Uh, what, what are your personal feelings on that? Well, the the bill is not yet in law, so it is still going through the Oireachtas, and Senator Mullen and his colleagues will have an opportunity in the Shannon uh, to examine the bill and to propose amendments and uh, to go through it thoroughly, and I'm sure they will. Look, I, I really think it comes down to common sense. We already have um, legislation in this area going back to 1989, and um, it does need to be updated and that is what the government is seeking to do and like there there is only a tiny minority of people um, who seek to subject uh, others to abuse uh, or to attack because of a prejudice um, that that person may hold and we do need to root that out and it's not acceptable um, that uh, you know vile language, abusive language, threatening language would be used against somebody uh, by virtue of, of their, their gender, uh, their ethnic origin, their nationality, their religion and it is about proportionate rep- proportionate application of the law which will happen uh, by the Gardaí, by the DPP and by the courts um, it is not a threat in my view uh, to freedom of speech. That is a fundamental uh, principle uh, in our democratic system. It's protected in international law. But it is not an unlimited right. You know, you do not have a right uh, to, um, you know... To, conduct, to incite violence uh, or hatred. You, you don't have that right. And, you know, we're seeking just to strengthen the law in that area. But, you know, common sense will apply to the application uh, of this as well. Uh, I'm conscious you've got a 9.30 meeting and you've given me till 9.35. Worrying developments, uh, coincidentally, in your own constituency, uh, Beaumont Residential Care were forced by the NTPF, that's the uh, National Treatment Purchase Fund, to announce its nursing home, which provides care services for 73 residents. They're forced by the actions or inactions, if you like, of the NTPF to leave the fair deal scheme. Are you across that situation or is it it, it time for uh, people with uh, loved ones in the fair deal scheme to be worried? Uh, I do hope that we can find a resolution to that issue. I mean, the uh, the net issue here is that the this particular uh, nursing home and that group, and indeed many others, uh, believe that they are not being paid enough money uh, for the care of uh, elderly people uh, by the National Treatment Purchase Fund under uh, what's called the Fair Deal Scheme, uh, the Nursing Home Support Scheme. So there is a review mechanism uh, every year whereby the rate that the NTPF pays to nursing home uh, for uh, the weekly cost of looking after people uh, can be reviewed and can be increased uh, and that does happen uh, uh, in very many occasions. I did visit a nur- another nursing home uh, in Cork City during the week and I know that they, they are facing a very challenging situation too. I spoke about it during the week uh, with Minister Mary Butler. She's responsible for older persons and is really into the detail of the nursing home support scheme. She met the NTPF uh, two days ago 
and uh, she will uh, report to government as to what the outcome of that was. Uh, but we do need to find a solution here and I'm, I believe that we will uh, these residents will be looked after and the state will ensure um, that whatever we need to do to make sure they're looked after will happen so I just want to give that assurance I am following up on that issue of Beaumont and the care choice okay. home yeah, it's regrettable no. that they've made that statement but from looking at their statement and listening to their CEO um, they're, they're not saying that the, that it's um, that it's you know beyond the point of no return Yeah, there, there, there's no denying the fair de- deal scheme is yeah. indeed that it, it is fair but the cost of supplying care to the elderly is also of course subject to inflation speaking of inflation can I ask you how can energy profits and wholesale prices both be on the rise we're looking at huge profits for Energia ESB uh, while they're claiming that wholesale, wholesale costs are going up, then so are their profits. The only person who can be paying for that is the consumer at both ends. Yeah, like the wholesale cost of energy has fallen uh, dramatically and what we now need to see is that being passed through to consumers, uh, to households and to businesses. The, the energy companies will make the case that as prices were rising in the wholesale markets, that they locked in, uh, that they hedged and they entered into futures contracts and they fixed uh, at a certain purchase price into the future and that therefore as wholesale prices fall, it will take a while for that to, to work its way through to the retail level. Um, I, I accept that, but only to a point. Um, it is certainly the case that when wholesale prices were going up, um, they were pushed up at a retail level very, very quickly, pretty much immediately. And we've only seen you know, two or three providers make any announcement now at this stage in relation to reducing the price at a retail level. Uh, so we do need to see progress on that. As a government, we are uh, going to take money off these these providers. Uh, we are introducing um, a cap on market revenues and we're also uh, taking money by way of a solidarity contribution from fossil fuel companies. So these, these super profits that are being generated, um, we are going to take a lot of money from them. The same with the ESB. We've increased the dividend payment to the state and the commitment we're giving is that we will give all of that money back uh, to consumers. As you know, in uh, across this year and last year, we did about four uh, electricity credits. We made changes to fuel allowance. We did a lot of bullet payments across uh, different social welfare schemes, uh, including fuel allowance and so on. And what we'll be examining now in the lead up to the budget is what more we can do and need to do uh, to help people with the cost while at the same time putting pressure on these companies to reduce the cost because we don't want taxpayers. Okay, our, our, our time is up. Two quick ones, if two quick ones, if I could, Michael. Fine, yeah. Okay, uh, will, will you look at mortgage interest relief in the upcoming budget? Um, I, I will examine it, but I'm not giving a commitment to introducing it because we will have a lot of uh, competing demands, uh, including renters, uh, people on social welfare and fixed income, uh, people who are working and paying uh, tax will also want to see uh, that burden eased. So there are lots of different ways that we can help people. Mortgage interest relief was in Ireland uh, up to uh, 2020. Um, it, it's not income specific, so if you were to introduce it across the board, it does mean that people who are well able to service their mortgage, even uh, even a significant increase in their mortgage, people on very, very good salaries, um, would would benefit from mortgage interest relief. So you do have to examine whether or not you can target resources in a better way. So that is an issue that we will examine. We'll see where interest rates are at. I mean, they've gone up 3.75% at ECB level. 
there may be further increases uh, to come. I know that's causing real pain and that's why I think people should engage with their lenders if they are in difficulty. We've brought mortgage arrears down now to a really low level for new mortgages. We're the third cheapest in Europe, um, but that's not the case for many who have their loan with a non-bank lender. And I've met with the non-bank lenders and I've met with the central bank uh, to try to um, uh, understand their pricing uh, methodologies uh, and to try and show to them and to convey to them the pressure that interest rate rises are putting on people. Okay, comprehensive answer. Now then, um, uh, finally, they, they, they say after every gatherer comes a scatterer. Uh, and while you're de- deploying what would seem to be prudent fiscal policy when it comes to the projected, uh, you know, 65 billion that may be coming our way against the aging population that it needs to serve, are you building up a war chest for a possible Sinn Féin-led organi- um, administration in the next election if that happens? You know, I have to do what I think is right for the country. I'm really conscious of the responsibility that I have uh, in the position that I currently hold. And it's an enormous privilege um, to hold this position. And I have the people of Cork uh, to thank uh, for putting me in Dáil Éireann and for giving me the opportunity to serve uh, in government. Um, I I have to do what I think is right for the country uh, in the role that I currently have. And, you know, it's not about looking ahead to the next government. To be honest, Mick, I'm looking ahead to... Uh, the next generation and I don't think we should be leaving our bills behind for them to pick up. I think we have a job of work to do with the resources we have available. We can make a lot of progress, I'm convinced, in housing, which is a top priority. Uh, In healthcare, we will help people further with inflation costs. We've already provided up to 12 billion euro, um, but it is in all of our interest that the economy is well run. Unemployment is now below 4% for the first time since 2001. We're continuing to attract uh, inward investment. Uh, We're running budget surpluses. We are reducing the debt and we are providing for the future. You know, uh, future governments will make their own decisions. um, But I am determined, and this government is determined, that whenever we do leave office, uh, that we leave uh, the public finances and the economy uh, in good health. And that's my obligation. And for as long as I'm in this role, I will do everything I possibly can to achieve that. Thanks, Michael. I'm sure we'll have more heated discussions at, at future time when more time is available to you. But with access to a senior cabinet minister such as yourself, there were those half dozen or seven or eight uh, areas that we're covering on the programme that I just wanted to get your input on. So thank you very much again. I've, you, I've kept you thank late. You and thank you very thank much you. for coming on. Cheers. Thank you. Minister Michael McGrath, Minister for Finance. Michael, of course, of Fianna Fáil. Thanks, Michael. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And to line four, thanks for holding Jim Ahern. Good morning, Jim. Hello. Uh, you're shocked at the minister thinking uh, thinking of putting millions into an account to make interest, are you? Yes, it just sounds like the old ostrich burying his head, you know. Um, like, why would the government decide that having a savings plan is a good idea? First of all, the government should spend everything they have to get, it, get the nation right, housing right and everything else. Secondly, the government has a national debt of billions which we already pay high interest rates to pay that off. Even if you were in your own home, the first thing you do is you get rid of your debt. Why would you save a billion pounds at 2% and have another billion borrowed at possibly 6 or 10% over its life term? Yeah, well, what, that is good economics. But, but he, he, he gave them as an option. One, one option is to put it on, on deposit. I'm not sure what the interest rate is. and, and get 1% like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other he did say was to pay down the national debt, which is costing 4 billion. 4 billion yeah, euro per year. And that's just the interest? That's just the interest. Of course it's just the interest, yes. Yeah, I, I, I remember when the national debt was 25 billion 
And that was in 1982. And money was money. billion was the national debt. It must be four or five hundred billion, oh. Yeah I, sh- yeah, I should have asked him how much is the national debt, actually. I, I, I'm telling you what it is, no. <laughs> so, like, every government since then has done nothing but borrowed money. We've, we're a nation in debt. So let's, let's try to attack that first. Okay, so if, if you had that $65 billion, he doesn't have it yet, by the way. They're, they're making plans for the expected windfall, and uh, most of it is on the back of the success of the, uh, the multinationals. Uh, how, how would you deploy that money? Because I asked him, most of it, uh, you know, you, you're going to be asked to fix health, fix housing, fix homelessness. But, but, but housing is a whole different issue again. They won't even, you, you couldn't get planning with the feckers. So first of all, you'd restructure the civil service so that they're not in charge of everything because the whole place is anchored up. That's the first thing you do, privatise a lot of it. At least we get the housing moving because the housing won't move. For as long as the housing is in the hands of the civil servants, it will not move. Give I, it back to the developers and let them make profits and stop anchoring guys up with planning. That's the first thing. But the second thing is you can't put all the money, obviously, back off the national debt. But you'd attack it somewhere. You know, we, you're overtaxing the workers. I, I'm, I'm going back maybe three years ago. I know that the EC charged us $400 million for overtaxing workers. We got penalised in this country. The government got penalised for overtaxing workers. What did they do? They paid the $400 million fine. And they didn't change the taxes. They just paid the fine. They just paid the fine. Ring them up and ask them about that. So we, ha- we have this I, huge, I, I huge windfall. We have this huge windfall on the way. And, you know, you must be torn if, if you were in charge of that uh, in fixing current problems and providing for what is a massively, massively ageing population. Have you seen the CSO figures about how old this country is going to be demographically in 10 to 20 years? Yeah, but sure, that's why they wanted everyone to walk to 70 years of age. It's I know, but what if we can't pay the simple pensions that they'll need? Yeah, but sure, listen, most, I, I know most people are walking over 65 now because even the pensions they have are useless. And this was a pension sourced by the state and forced into employers over years. And now they're going to try to force us all into another, another pension. I don't know anybody. You can go back and ask anyone that paid into a pension. Their pension is worthless. It's gone. Even the new pension they're talking about bringing out is not government guaranteed. It's left, it's left to the pension sellers again who will collapse it and who will rob our money. It's not even safe. The only safe pension in this country is a civil service pension and they are not allowed to join the new pension design that the government are setting up. Every one of us can put into the new pension structures that are going to be forced into it and yet the government has said to every civil servant, by the way, you're not allowed to go into it because it's unsafe. Do you, do you know the cost increases in... Uh, our general necessities last year. Housing, water, electricity, gas and other fuels rose by 20.7%. Food and non-alcoholic beverages increased by 13.1%. And listen to this. The CSO have just released figures that said electricity prices jumped by 51.3% in April. Gas soared by 55.8%. And mortgage interest repayments rose by 41% when you take the uh, cumulative effect of the constant ECB rises. Uh, it's getting harder and harder to live here, pension or not. Yeah, but hold on a second. All those increases that you just mentioned there, the government have taken savage amounts of profits and tax off these companies. They are DSB because they give it back to them, right? You're paying that at home. You can't afford to live today. If you're 30, 35, 40 years of age with two kids, you're struggling. I'm sorry for you. Some of these people won't get the pension age. I think there's some, I don't know, the, the, the amount of people that get the pension age is small anyway. A lot of my friends have died at 40, 50 and 60 before they ever got there. 
but they wasn't living a good life between now and then. I think it's very important to, to treat the person that's 35 and 40 with a family with, this, with respect. Don't be telling them, ah, it's going to get better when you get to 70, because I can assure you, you can stick a 50 bloody note to your forward when you're 50 or 65 and retired, and it won't make a difference. You won't even want to spend it. But you want to spend it now when you have a child, and you're going to school, and you have no house. You can't get a mortgage. This idea of saving money is crazy. It's crazy. Change well, the taxes. You take anyone who's going to work in the morning, right? They have, they're, they're down 400 quid before they start between any bit of that. They're, they're three weeks now before their next paycheck. I guarantee you they're all struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, Mike McGrath men, mentioned the possibility and he keeps getting asked to, to kill the USC charge, which is hated, he admitted. Uh, do you think that might be, um, you know, an arrow in their quiver, if you like? He, like, he, he's only a couple of... Uh, a couple of votes away from being overridden. If the Tonishton Taoiseach says, right, guys, this is how we're going to win the next election, I'd say USC is gone. It's, it's five billion. They'll buy it. They'll buy it with that. But why, 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 should, why should we be held to ransom on something like that to get them back into power again? Like, I don't care who's in power as long as they, they're, they're there for the people and they get a right for us. They're not. As far as I'm concerned, the only people that should be up in power are people who have autism because they don't lie. That's what I put in there. Unless you get the bloody truth, every politician there's a lawyer. Or is or is they're very calm with the truth, they won't tell you. So on, on the basis of money put away is being devalued by inflation anyway, you, you would solve current problems with this expected windfall. But I think everybody wants your current problem sorted. Yeah. Are you are you really worried about whether you can go for a cup of coffee when you're seventy? Are you more worried yourself now today? Are you more worried about the price of your mortgage? or your child going, going somewhere or buying a pair of shoes. What's your biggest problem today? Is, the, is right now at your age, is your pension your worry, or is it the bill coming in on Friday? Yeah, it depends what age you are, but I imagine everyone listening here, is, uh, their overriding concern is, how can I do better for my family today? I think that's what I think that's what should be done with government every day. And we okay. worry about the other problem when we get there. Speaking this of helping families... I, plan I have to move on, Jim, to... to off, your chuck. I have to move on, Jim, to help another family. But thanks, thanks for that, because I need to get this in before 10. Thanks, cheers, bye-bye. Let's go to Nula. Nula, thank you for holding. Good morning. Hello, Nula. Good morning. Hi. Uh, now, one of the Hi. things I discussed with the Minister is, is talking at your heartstrings. In fact, you emailed uh, after the announcement came out uh, about Beaumont um, and really the first line says it all our family needs your help tell us what's going on yeah I tell you now um, my stepmother is a resident in Beaumont um, uh, residential care um, for the last four years and she's advanced Parkinson's disease she's bedridden she has difficulty with swallowing and communication and she has um, got great care in the home now we were called to uh, an emergency meeting there on Wednesday night and uh, the CEO of the Care, uh, cho- uh, care Choice um, home, Nursing Home Organisation outlined financial difficulty that the home is in and um, the fact that they are withdrawing from the Fair Deal scheme. Now, the majority of the residents in Beaumont Residential Care receive help for their cost of care under the Fair Deal scheme. Now, um, uh, Stuart, uh, the CEO, outlined really how the funding system works and what happens is that the National Treatment Purchasing Fund negotiates with each individual nursing home on the cost of care that they will pay under the Fair Deal system. 
And um, just to note that um, if you look at how much a public nursing home in Cork City gets per patient uh, per week, per bed, is about €600 Euros extra for a bed in a public nursing home than for a bed in a private nursing home. OK, we will be and talking fact, to Stuart later on. Just to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, good. Oh, good. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So, but basically what's happening um, is that the the National uh, Treatment Practicing Fan, uh, Fund have um, not agreed to the requested increase of €160 Euros per week, which George has requested to cover the cost of care. And this is against a background where the public nursing home and courts have recently been given an increase of 183 euros. 183. Can I give you my basic understanding of, of the Fair Deal yeah. scheme? And because you are intimately involved in it, you can correct mm. me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, a loved one needs to go into a residential facility. Uh, and let's say, just for argument's sake, that's 1,500 euros a week. Okay? Yeah. The, your loved one passes away six weeks later. Uh, you owe nine grand. So the family pay the nine grand. Now, the loved one doesn't pass away and the bill exceeds 30,000, then that's the maximum bill that you pay, 30,000. Is that correct? No matter how long your loved one lives for. No, 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 no. That's not the Where, where did I get that wrong then? No, the, the, fair deal, the fair deal system, right? Everybody's entitled to care under the fair deal system. And in the fair deal system, what they do is they look at your, your income, which is probably your pension, any assets you have, any, any savings you have. And they do an evaluation of that, right? So they might say, okay, that means that your assets will cover, um, say, 800 euros a week of care. Okay, and if the cost of your bed is fifteen hundred euros, then the HSE will top up and pay the seven. Yeah, the assets can include one or both pensions. Yeah, yeah, it, it includes everything. It includes everything, every asset, every penny that you owe. So it it is a fair system in that everybody is assessed based on their ability to pay. Okay, and in this okay. particular situation, and correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, the NTPF. Yeah. Uh, have been asked for 186 euros per week to cover the cost of care per per, uh, resident, I guess. Uh, This increase is based on an evaluation performed by PricewaterhouseCooper. They've been offered 16 euro a week. That is correct. Could you blame them? Could you blame them then for taking the action action they, they seemingly have to take? Oh, exactly. And against, especially against the background where the public nursing homes in the Cork area have received 186 euros per week, which is almost identical to the increase that was requested by Beaumont Residential Care. So, you know, the fair deal system, it isn't fair. You know, our, our loved ones are being discriminated against by, by virtue of the fact that their bed is in a public nursing home as, uh, sorry, in a private or voluntary nursing home as opposed to in a public nursing home. Okay, as I say, we'll be speaking to Stuart Murphy, CEO, later yeah. on in the programme. But more particularly, where, the, where does this leave you and your family? Well, where this leaves us now is that at the end of the month, Bob, at Beaumont Residential Care are, are out of contract as such with the National um, Treatment Purchasing Fund and the HSE. So, Anyone in the home who is receiving a contribution of the, to their care from the Fair Deal scheme, that contribution will no longer be paid. So the risk is that the home will close. Now, that is not the intention of 
the owners of the home, they do not want to close the home, but obviously they can't keep a home opening if it is hemorrhaging money. Now, from our family's point of view, if the home closes, where do our loved ones go? And you have to remember that this is their home. They've been living there for, you know, some of them for... I spoke to people at the meeting the other night, you know, whose parents have been there for nine, ten years. And um, there, there are no public beds for them to go to. So if the nursing home closes, we are in limbo. Nowhere for them to go. Okay, so what you're really asking is where is the fairness in this? If the NPTF are giving 186, 183, 186 um, yeah. to one... To the public to yeah. the public and, and 16 euro to the private. Um, yeah. Now, Minister McGrath has said he will look into it, but the NPTF currently pays about an extra 600 euro per week for a fair deal bed yeah. in a public nursing home than it does to a private. Yeah. So that, that's, that that's, that's a stark amount of money. Uh, I, mean, I mean, a stark difference in the money. Yeah, and, you know, I saw an article on the Times um, online this morning, you know, and the HSE comment was that, it, well, the cost of care is higher in a public nursing home and that, you know, we pay our staff more and they have better entitlements. And therein lies another problem where the private nursing homes, um, because they are not getting the same amount contribution towards the cost of care, they cannot pay their staff as much as the HSE staff. And there is a hemorrhaging of staff from the private and voluntary nursing homes into the HSE. So not only are nursing homes like ours facing um, a funding crisis, they are also in the middle of a severe staffing crisis. And of course, so, the, the, the HSE are, are welcoming because they're also short of frontline nursing staff. Um, oh, yeah. And they're getting, they're getting trained staff who have been trained at the expense of the private nursing homes. So it's, it's, it's uh, not a fair system. On a business case, Nula, the Beaumont mm. Residential Care requires to provide care. Uh, there are 29,000, about that, 29,000 lower per annum in support than the annual cost of providing care for a resident in a HSC public nursing home. That's huge. That, that has to be correct. addressed. That's correct. And, and you see, the issue is, right, if the, if the public nursing homes, or sorry, if the private can't provide the care, and my, my stepmother has to move into a public nursing home, it will actually cost the HSE €29,000 more per year to care for her. Her, her and thousands of others if, if this happens, because it's going to be a domino exactly. effect. Exactly. Okay. And, and again, in the, the Times this morning, um, you know, there's a very good article, and other nursing homes now have, have spoken up about their funding um, difficulties as well, you know. So, okay. Um, so the Fair yeah. Deal scheme, by its very name and virtue, needs to be fair, and uh, you're contending it's not at the moment. Let's see where that goes, and we will keep in touch with you. Okay. Nuala, thank you very Thanks much. For listening. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Bye bye. It's two and a half minutes to ten on the Neil Prendeville show, and we've news at ten o'clock on the way. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news, and you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. The Neil Prendeville Show, Red FM. And before we get back down to the serious business of the show, let's uh, pick a happy side of uh, Friday. And that, of course, is our Free Food Friday. This is with Roosters, Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool. You need to text or WhatsApp us saying who you are, where you work and why you want us to pick you. It's 86 106 That's the only number. Text or WhatsApp 86 106 We've got a feed. 15 people or thereabouts. 
more if you spread it around a little. Uh, winner's going to get a selection of starters consisting of chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, uh, mains including chicken wraps, chicken pittas and beef burgers. All meats basted in their famous uh, famous medium peri-peri sauce. And they'll also throw in not just the peri-salted fries, but the rice, the waffle fries and other extras as well, like portions of piri mayo, garlic piri uh, mayo. And as a special treat, uh, build your own. You've seen build your own bear? Well, build your own cheesecake with a selection of toppings like Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella and lots more. Check it all out at roostersperiperi.com uh, and you'll find them, of course, in Douglas and Blackpool. That number for text or WhatsApp again is 0868104106. Now, Stuart Murphy, as promised, uh, joins us on uh, line one. Good morning, Care Choice CEO Stuart Murphy. Hi, Mick. How are you thinking? Very good. Uh, that sounds. You seem a bit downtrodden there uh, on the basis of your first few words. Uh, is, isn't it kind of sad that such an action had to be taken to spotlight a situation that seems to be. There's, a, there's an absolute chasm between um, you know, what you should be getting, what you could be getting, what other people are getting. Uh, can you go into the, the situation with us, please, Stuart? Yeah, so look at, uh, I suppose I'll start from the other night. We had to meet with uh, residents and families the other night and Nula was one of them. I heard her on earlier on. And we had to explain the severity of the situation. I suppose the situation is not just Bowman for us, Bowman Residential Care. It's, it's, uh, it's across the whole um, 14 homes that we have. And it, the situation with Cork especially is feeling a very difficult, uh, very difficult uh, financial strain. So... The other night we, we went through, I suppose, the detail. So on average, across our northern homes, we've received 16 euros. And we're, we, are, we, are, we, we engaged with the NTPF nine months ago, and we started engaging in an appropriate and, uh, I suppose, a meaningful fashion, asking to come to the table and have a conversation about the, the cost of care versus the actual, um, I suppose, the funding. And we asked at that point a, a, a very particular number, and we said 1,270 would be an appropriate cost of care and it kind of equates to about one eight three, not quite but nearly there and uh, it was very similar to a number that came out most recently in April when the HSE um, run nursing homes came out and got an uplift of 183 across the board and I suppose it was very difficult for me to explain that to families tonight that we're really struggling to cover the cost of care and we've covered it off ourselves for the last I suppose nine months to a year and our, uh, and our owners have done that in, out of their own pocket. But we were getting it FAR. And we actually engaged PwC so, could, so that we had an external body to demonstrate this to, I suppose, the NTBF and that there'd be no questions around the finance figures given. And we went in some effort in that. And like, we spent a month and a half doing that. And then, you know, to, to be in a situation where you have to face families the other night on and actually see them distraught with the situation and then hoping that you can fix it. And I was very, like, I, I have to say, the only way this gets solved is minister, minister's intervention and uh, senior minister intervention, like Justice McGrath. And uh, it would be important for us that this gets solved. Like, I, you know, I, I, I spoke to Finance Minister Mike McGrath in the last I, hour, uh, and his exact words were, we do need to find a solution. We've made him very aware of it now. Yeah, and, and it's not a solution just for this home. It's a solution for the sector and our 14 nursing homes. Like, I do not want to have to go through this again. I do not want to have to face people in in nursing homes and explain this situation again. I, this is a very, this is a very emotive, a very emotional situation for all of us. Like, you have to understand when you're caring for residents and you're sitting in homes and you're having conversations with families and you're meeting them and so forth, these are, these are the mums and dads and aunties and uncles and they're real people. There are people who've worked in the state and we're, we're 65 billion ahead 
Like you know what I mean? We're we're in the we're in the like we've never been better, and we're just we're just ignoring this problem, and we're ignoring it across the state. Like the Irish Times was very good this morning. It showed the demographic from a standalone horse and home in Cavan right across to Silver Stream and and Windmill Care and ourselves, who all have nursing homes in Cork and who are all facing the same challenges. Like CUH here is the is the second worst performing hospital and has trolley trolley crisis every couple of weeks. And it's a point of breaking. And we we have a great relationship with CUH and we take residents who into our homes who the appropriate care is around a nursing home, who are on trolleys and who are experiencing, I suppose, medical needs and then move into nursing homes. If a nursing home goes down, if another nursing home goes down in Cork, CUH is only getting more worse. It's going to get worse and it's going to it's going to impact on everybody's life. So we thought, yeah, I heard this, at the very top of your program this morning that the gentleman had been shot. So you can imagine what a and is like when that situation is ongoing. So this is not just affecting, uh, it's not just affecting nursing homes, but it is, we have a crisis at the moment in nursing homes across the state, not just Cork, but Cork is very heavily impacted. And uh-huh. We really, really need to intervene here. And I am extremely worried. And I, I'm 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 not still sitting in Cork, going down to Beaumont Residence Care this morning, not going around our nursing homes in Cork trying to to, to to ensure everybody's stable, everything's okay, because I I don't care, I care a lot here, and I really am invested in solving this problem. But I need somebody on the other side invested as much as me. Okay, I I can tell from the tone of your voice that you do care that that this is a very emotive issue for you. Now, however hard it was to go in front of. Uh, the family members. Um, it it can't have been as hard as if you did it for naked profit a year ago and said, "This is coming down the track. Uh, we're not going to stand it. We're you know we're we're withdrawing from the fair deal scheme." But essentially, uh, you and your shareholders and operators have taken the brunt of this hit for a year until it was eventually time to stand in front of the families. Yes, that's exactly what we did. We, like our, our shareholders, put sixteen million into business to prop up the care. Like we haven't, we haven't. Uh, there isn't an inch of care that we've given up here. We, we have, and we've done a, a whole restructuring in our organisation to identify savings that we outside of the care. So we identify savings all over the place, including head office, including all aspects of the business. But we've reached a point that we can't do anything else, and it, without the state intervening here and without the state being part of this solution we are in a situation where nursing homes would close 14 or 24 of them have closed already and they shouldn't have closed like if the funding model was appropriate nobody closes nursing homes nobody wants to stand in front of families and explain you're you're in a situation where you're closing nursing home because you, you you become involved with them you become involved in their lives some people some of our residents are with us 10 years and you're having conversations. You're having conversations with staff, but you can't pay them appropriately. We want to be able to pay our staff appropriately. The HSE made a comment this morning, and look at the HSE is a different organisation to us. But the HSE made a comment this morning that they have a higher cost of care and higher wages. I'd love to be able to pay my staff the way the HSE pay the staff. I'd love to have no turnover staff. I would love to have a situation. We have a staffing crisis because we're not paid appropriately. I want stability, and this is all about the stability. Nobody in the nursing home sector, in the private nursing home sector, is about profit. They're about stability, they're about care, and we are regulated to the last end of our lives. And our regulator, who are very good people, HECWA, expect us to advocate on, on these residents' behalf, and that's what we're doing. We're advocating on their behalf for us, and we would be doing it, we've tried to do it at a group level for 14 nursing homes, but we, we weren't able to achieve that. We were sent back to the table in regards to Beaumont Residential Care and then I, had, I couldn't get anything done for Beaumont that was significant 
And honestly, I had to go and speak to the families and I had to. I didn't have a choice. We tried to avoid it. OK, so you're involved in several nursing homes. Why, why was Beaumont chosen? Uh, and in that sense, is it a litmus test maybe for the others or maybe against, uh, you know, to see and position yourself to see what will come down the track government-wise? Uh, absolutely not. It wasn't chosen and we were forced to, to go with Beaumont in the sense that we would never, I would never stand in front of families and try to, uh, I suppose, annoy families. Beaumont was a, is a home that was out of deed. A deed is a contract with the NTBF, right? And the deed was out and we were... We were fit, we were trying to get negotiations, and there was no meaningful response in any real way. And Bowman, we we felt that the responsible thing for our families is to is to go to them and say, look, this is the situation, and honestly, we can't get it sorted for you, and we need to have a conversation around this. What we do next, and we had to explain to them on on Wednesday night, and we stood there for an hour and a half with them answering questions, having a good dialogue, and. We explained to them in detail why, and it was because we were sent back by the NTBF to deal with Bowman Forced. And again, as I said, we had no meaningful conversation. Yeah, Nula, whom I'm sure you heard me speaking to before the news at 10, uh, is contending that, uh, that her mother, her mother-in-law and other residents uh, are being discriminated against simply because they're in a private nursing home rather than in a public one. And that is absolutely true. And I explained that in some detail. Like, if you're in a, if you're in Finbars, which you, I'm sure know, um, mm. you're getting in excess of two thousand euros as to care for your mum and dad or your auntie or uncle. We're getting one thousand and eighty-five. I cannot explain that that difference. I cannot. I cannot make up the numbers to say that deserves this. We deserve that. And when you go to the point of saying, right, the six hundred because you have a house with higher staffing level, okay. Right, okay, we would like to have higher, higher staff at 11. We would like to be able to give our staff pensions. We would like to give our staff a higher rate of pay. But when you go and lift their their cost of their care by one, out of their add-ons, by one A3, and you give us 16 euros in some of our nursing homes, and you're expected, force expected to do the same job as them, and, 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 and you have to remember, we the same type of residents. There is no differentiation in that. That has been washed out by the order in general. It is not a case that, you know, there's there's a typical type of resident in Finbars versus our home. We are very high dependency residents, and we do a very good job. And the lovely thing the other night with this, with the with the families was the compliments to the staff, the compliments to the home. It was really, you know, it was uplifting in a very sad moment. It was really uplifting to go, you know, to hear such good returns. And Nula was one of them, and it was just very nice to hear that, you know. But mm. and then you're then you and then you turn around and go. Look at what you're not worth the same. So it, it's very hard. It's discrimination. Like it's very hard to turn around to a family member and say and explain to them your your mom and dad's not entitled to that 182 euros, whereas you're entitled to 16 euros or so forth. You know, it, it's not fair. Like this, it's just simply not fair. And the the fair deal scheme has a language around fair, fairness. You know, it's okay. Not fair. You, you you could take the hypothetical example where. Uh, and I don't know for what reason they'd be separated, but let's let's just say an eld- elderly brother uh, was in your private care, elderly sister was in uh, St. Finbar's on, under the public system. Uh, there's an obvious financial discrimination one against the other. Absolutely. There's, there's a financial discrimination by just a means of address. 
That's all it is. It's a financial discrimination by the means of address because you chose to go to one nursing home versus another. Like public versus private, there is no where the standards are expected to be the same, the care is expected to be the same, the the, the HICWA expects you to run the home in a particular way, and you're expected to advocate on all of that on the resident's behalf. And like the discrimination is clear and concise here, and it is very much played out that if you're in a private nursing home, you're not entitled to the same funding. And and that is why private nursing homes are closed. Like you could imagine standing in front of, I, and I, I got a taste of it the other night. You could imagine for all them twenty four um, owners, um, in the last last number of nine months, twelve months, standing in front of of their residents and families and explaining we can't stay open because we can't afford it. Right? And like money being the the word here, it's like money and care don't mix. Care is about care. You, we, we, all we're asking is giving us enough finance to we can care for our residents. Uh-huh. And that's all we're asking for. Not asking for anything else. We're asking give us enough finance to cover our residents and to give our staff the appropriate pay. And I had to explain that we had a hundred staff there the other night, and we had to explain the exact same situation for them. And one staff member turned when we get the pay rise, and I had to turn around and say, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if I can continue to pay you. Yeah. You're certainly dispelling the notion, Stuart Murphy, um, that, that uh, anyone who privately owns a nursing uh, home uh, is in ownership of a cash cow. Absolutely not. We lost six million last year across the group. Our investors had to um, put sixteen million into the business. Keep standing up. You know, there's no there's no cash cow in private nursing homes. Private nurse, you don't get into private nursing homes to to become rich. You get into private nursing homes. For it's a, you, you do it for the right reasons, and when you're in it, you really get into it for the right reasons because you you get bought into the, the model. I like I'm in this business for the last four years, and I adore the people that are in it. I adore the residents and the staff. I like I I have to compliment the staff during COVID. They stood up when you know it was very difficult, very very difficult time, and now we're being treated like this at the end of COVID. And we're expected to, and you're letting nursing homes close. You're letting homes close. You're letting residents' homes close. But you're letting, these are people in their 80s and 90s, and you're just abandoning them and allowing, allowing the homes to close. Okay. Uh, I'm just, just looking at some of the figures here. Let's say, uh, God forbid, the Beaumont Residential Care were to close. The additional cost to the state would be $1.8 million per annum. Because they'd have to move the residents into HSE care. At least, yes, at least. And that depends on the home that you're moving them into. So there could be a, that could move between 2 million and on beyond in 2.5 million. Okay. Well, what, depending on the North Union home you move it into. What, what, what element of uh, elderly patients, for instance, in the CUH or, or elsewhere, um, would, would you imagine are, are holding and blocking beds, um, needing the help? that, that uh, private or even public nursing homes can provide to them, but families are kind of reluctant to, to release them because they're, they know they don't, without those places, they're not going to have the care that they need and deserve. Uh, sh- surely there'd be an element of more capacity in the health system if we had a viable mechanism for getting people who need private residential care into that system. They should be supporting it more than, than making it unviable financially. Absolutely, it, it, like there's nobody building nursing homes at the moment, right? Like we, like it costs thirty million to build a nursing home, and that's what it costs. We have completed a project in in Parnell Road in Dublin, and it costs us thirty million. Like nobody's investing in nursing homes. There's a brand new one open in Riverstick on the way to Kinsale. Yeah, but I, I, that was at the end. Like the, the, that was somebody started that project 
early on when it was still reasonable to, to invest in a nursing home, to, that it was a sustainable model. It's no longer sustainable and nobody will build a new one. No one will start. No one will go to a greenfield site and start building. And what will happen here, as you mentioned earlier on, that the population is aging, and it's aging rapidly. Like by 2030, we're going to have a substantial part of our population that, that are going to need care within a nursing home. And what the, the numbers in 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 CUH, I'm sure there's at least 20% of them individuals uh-huh. in CUH will be moving into a nursing home at, at a minimum. And I'm 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 actually underestimating that. I'm sure I am, but I'm I'm just giving that as a figure. Now, if you take 70 beds, the numbers are simple there, right? 70, sorry, 70 on trolleys. The numbers are simple there. So, and we do like we have six nursing homes in Cork at this moment in time, and every one of them is struggling. And like we're advocating all six. Moment is just the first. If it was if all six were up for, for deed, we would be having this conversation about six nursing homes. We are in a position here now that we want. Solve problem solved, and we need it solved. It's uh-huh. not a case, of, and not just us. Like all, you think about all the popul like the population of Cork is growing rapidly. The, there's an influx of foreign nationals into the country. They're going to need care. This is only going one way, and our population has grown. It's it's why, Stuart, I wanted to cover briefly because of the time we had all of these issues with the minister, because uh, while he, you know, he's saying we need to ring fence this money for what's and and it's been uh, it's been confirmed by the CSO. We've got a rapidly aging population demographic. We're going to need to support uh, all of our older people of the future with pensions. And I understand that. But you can't do that unless in in parallel you're keeping the facilities in place, not just for this level of an ageing population, but something that could be 10 or 12% more in 20 years' time. So you're going to need this private sector to be viable. Absolutely. And, like, like, with the greatest respect, the HSE is not building nursing homes at the moment, right? And the only... It's been a public-private partnership, you know. We've... Nursing homes are being built by private entities at the moment and private entities are running them and we're being audited by a state body we are doing the right things by these residents we're doing the right jobs we, and what the problem is the aging population the population as you say and you make a very very good point is well it's going to grow by 12% in an aging demographic and we're not we're not facilitating the situation and actually what we're doing is we're actually decreasing the, the number of nursing homes and the number of nursing home beds but decreasing in there's nursing homes 24 there's nursing, another nursing home going to close this week I think it's actually today and it's closing over in Galway you know this is like it's Cork Central at the moment but it's it's a nationwide problem and it, like we're sitting here having this conversation I've tried to have this conversation with the NPF they are not willing to have this conversation at the moment I would be happy to meet anybody about this situation and it, it's not a case that these aren't figures. These are people, right? So let's, it's back to people again. It's back to, you have 73 residents in Beaumont Residential Care. They need our support. They need us to advocate. I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me about this because they, we need to advocate. Newly was very good this morning. She's talking about her, her parent, her step-parent. And we, like, you think about across the state, all the people who are sitting in their homes today reading the Irish Times going, this happened to my mother or the father or my auntie or uncle. And they're all worrying about this situation. Oh, I'm, I'm like, fine. My mum and dad are in their 50s and my mum and dad are in their 60s. No, you're not. Yeah. Uh, no, but, you're not. Because what's going to happen, um, I, I think we've estimated about an additional 5,000 new nursing home beds are going to be required, 1,500 transitional yeah. care beds in the years ahead, in the next decade, let's say. And essentially what you're saying is the NTPF is closing homes. Yes, 
that is correctly and um, correct and right. And where is M five thousand going to come out? It's only going to be investment. It's only going to be investment from a private. And if you're making it unsustainable and unreasonable to actually invest in it, nobody's going to invest in it. And in fact, you're decreasing the number of beds. And again, I go back to what I said earlier on. Nobody closes a nursing home. Nobody closes a nursing home because it's the last thing you do. Well, on, on a sample of one, Stuart, no, no, no landlord uh, sells a property unless they're ageing or get, you know, getting out of the market. Yeah. And, and yeah. look at what's happening now. There's a rush to exit. We're, we're, but we're also looking at low wage in childcare. Uh, whatever about the Defence Forces, that's a topic unto itself. But why are we looking at low wage uh, availability in the childcare segment and in the elderly care segment? Uh, two things we care most of all in our lives about. And the most vulnerable people in our society. Like, you want the best class of person in a nursing home. And we're fortunate we have that in Beaumont Residence Care and we have it in our nursing homes and care choice. But it's very hard to maintain that. It's very hard to keep them people with. You need to make, like they have all got, they have all challenges at the moment regarding their own cost of living. And you, they're asking, they're reaching out to their employer, like us, care choice, Beaumont Residence Care, to support them so that they can stay in employment with you. And then what you're really saying to them is, we can't afford to do it because we're not in the same robust health as the HSE uh, in the sense of the wages. And like to say to us, well, we pay more. Well, I would love to pay more for our staff. I would, I would welcome that chance to actually invest in our staff, to retain our staff. Remember, you're talking about dementia. This person gets up every day and if they haven't got the same person, meeting them every morning. It is a very different... They need constant. Uh, constant. Speaking of that, I, I want to take a call. Please stay with us, Stuart, if you can, because I, I'd like to give this more oxygen as the uh, popular term has become. Martin, thank you for holding for so long. Hello, Martin? Oh, beg your pardon. Martin, you're there now. Hello, Neil. Uh, it's Mick, yeah, but I should have pushed the button. Um, now, sorry to hear your wife, Julie, passed away with dementia five months ago. That's right, yeah. Okay, um, but but you had to take her out of care, did you? I had to take over one of the private homes that he was talking about. Well, I didn't care choice, but it was just a private home because she couldn't get the specific care that she needed. There is no book, no private home that I know of. There's, there's a few of them who gives specific care to Alzheimer's patients. Now, he was mentioning about a dementia person. I don't think he'd know what a dementia person would need because I didn't until I went to St. Anne's in Dungavon. And then I found out what they need. They need specific care, and they need about two to four. That it would be about four patients to about two staff. I don't see any private home given that. If the private home come up to the standard of that, yeah, I wouldn't mind them getting their money. And I'm only talking about the Alzheimer's patient now. Oh, you're, ta- you're talking about Alzheimer's or dementia in, in, in a general sense? Alzheimer's and dementia are basically the same thing. Okay. They'll say they're not, but they're all the same thing. Uh, let's, let, let's, um, let's dip into Stuart's experience on this matter. Stuart, could you say anything on that? We're not taking you yeah, on here. It's just No, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, and I'm not I, taking I, Stuart on either. No, no, that's that's fine. Um, no, I, and and the, we do do deal with advanced dementia in our nursing homes, and we have specific units within our homes that deal with them. And there is a higher need in in. I, I, I would I would I would disagree with you there, Stuart. There is no I, if you if you that. if you go through if you go through the records of everything where the where the homes that have a specific dementia, there is there is an, in in Waterford, West Waterford. The only place is, and I think you were care choice in, in West Barford. Yeah. There is only one place. There are only ten spots for the for dementia people in West Barford. Ten. 
Yeah, and you, I, I would like to, I would like to find out how many specific places are in Cork, but there's not yeah. many. Yeah, and you're talking about dementia-specific units, and yes, you, you, yes, yeah, and and there there's a special registration on that and so forth. Yes, but we have, we have and there is not too many homes that have that. No, there's not. So if you come up to that stand-up, I wouldn't mind you. You see, what you shouldn't do, and I think this is where the problem with the private homes. Ma- the private homes Martin, will take them into people Martin, into, Martin, the, I, into the place. Okay, I'd, I'd like to get Stuart's answer here un- uninterrupted if possible. Yeah, look, at we do have dementia. We, don't, we have dementia-friendly units in our homes. And there isn't mm-hmm. too many, as you said, as, as, you, as you said, there isn't too many dementia-specific units, in, even in public nursing homes. Because dementia specific units need a huge, a huge amount of staff and a huge amount of nursing care, and we wouldn't have the cost of care to able to go that far. If we had the cost of care, we would well engage with that, and actually we are actually proposing that in one of our nursing homes. So we're very, very happy to engage in dementia specific, and we're actually opting into a situation where we would go direct with the agency to open a unit in our new Parnell Road. To, to go to dementia specific, but dementia specific is a four thousand to five thousand cost, and we're not yes. near that, Martin. Martin, I would wish, I would love to be able to care for your mother in Dundarvan in, uh, in our nursing home, but we don't have that. I had to, t- I had to take out of one of the private nursing homes right. because they couldn't give her the care that she needed. Are you talking and, four and to five thousand per month, there, Stuart? Per, per week. Yeah. Per week. Per week. Okay. Um, so, so Martin, we're so far away from that. Neil? Yeah, go on, let's make one. I make, as I said, and I turned around and I said it to, to your researcher, in 2014, there was a strategy set up by Kathleen Lynch for the dementia people. That dementia strategy is not heard of from the Alzheimer's Association or from no one. And they're still being paid today, the Alzheimer's Association, for that, to put that strategy in place by the government. And the government have failed the dementia people in all this. They have, that strategy is still in place, but no one knows nothing about it. A, that was signed by... It's a strategy that's being paid for, and there's nothing on the ground. Well, in my book, the Dementia Association is getting 15 million, the Alzheimer's Association, every year from the government. And I think, unless I'm mistaken, they're getting 15 million from a philanthropist. Now, I'd like to know where the money is, and I'd like to know where the Alzheimer's Association are anyway. They've never, in my five years that my wife, well, she had it with 10, 10 years, I've never had them coming on and any radio looking for money or looking for any specific places for the dementia people. I've never had them. I don't even know where they exist. Can you shed any light on that, Stuart? Just, just hang on, Martin. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have the knowledge on, on on Alzheimer's. But what I would say to you on the sense of the Alzheimer's Society. But I would say this to Martin: is I'm sure when you took the took that your 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 wife out of out of the nursing home, that was devastating for you and your wife and for the home set because they were caring for your wife. And if you could imagine that they had the appropriate cost of care to cover that. They would have wanted the, your, your your wife to stay there. I'm sure that it was devastating. Well, the one the one thing I the one thing I will say, Stuart, Hikwa, and if they're listening, Hikwa should take an example of Saint Anne's Belong Dungarvan, because that's the way the dementia people should be looked after. The way they look after Belong Dungarvan, I've never seen the like of it in my life. The ten people that they they look after all the time, everyone must smile. But when my wife was outside. I, I used to look after my wife four hours a day. Every day I went out looking after her. 
And for one day of the week that I couldn't go there, they came up to me and they said they couldn't look after me. The one day, and you were paid, you were being paid enough actually, it was a fair deal at the time. So they were being paid enough for it. So like, I have only one problem with the, with the private is that they have not a specific unit and that they take them into your people, which they cannot look after. Okay, that, that's something we look into on the programme, Martin, and see if we can get more information about that and, uh, you know, what programmes are on the ground from the Alzheimer's Society. Uh, but I want to go back to the more general situation affecting many, many families. But thank you, Martin, for your call and your contribution. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks uh, Stuart, are you happy to stay with me for a few moments yes, while we adjust the general problem? And just to come back to you in a short minute. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. 20 minutes to 11 on the Neil Prenderville Show. We're with Stuart Murphy, CEO of Care Choice, addressing an issue that as a listener, if it doesn't affect you now, it may affect you in the future. And this is across the board of society, uh, Stuart. This is going to affect us unless we plan and cater for it now, as Minister McGrath does intend to do with the expected surplus uh, to cover the pension side of things, we also need to, in parallel, look at the healthcare side of things. Absolutely. Uh, look, at, we, we have an opportunity now when there's, uh, I suppose, a, a, an appropriate dialogue going on around us uh, to really get in under the skin of this and fix it for the future. Like, it's fixing for me and you, not, not, just, uh, it's not just the people who are in nursing homes at the moment. It's fixing for the future and it's ensuring that those, if, if anybody's mum and dad is in any way in ill health now, that they have an appropriate setting, that they can go visit them every week and that you're not going into a hospital. And what will happen is hospitals become large nursing homes. CUH and Mercy will be just become large nursing homes because there will be nowhere to go with residents and nobody to go to with older people. And that's but that will have a knock-on effect on, on, on the middle section of age and population who won't be able to get medical care. Absolutely. And beds will be blocked and there will be a thousand days of blocking with people who are medically suitable for a nursing home setting and where they are appropriately cared for and loved and, and their needs are wanted. And like you heard earlier on, the, the appropriate settings are there and people, they become homes for these residents. They become, they become lovely places to enjoy the life that they are supposed to have with other people in the same age demographic and they're able to enjoy activities, they're able to enjoy. And like, again, I go back to the regular HICWA here. HICWA are always encouraging, advocating and encouraging standards of care. And you want good homes like BRC, like Bowman Residential Care in existence, that they are there in the appropriate setting, in the appropriate location. It's back to Slauncher Care. You know, the right care, the right place, the right time. You know, these are, this is the right situation to have the, the nursing homes are the right place for certain people in society and what we are doing is closing them at the moment and we're allowing, allowing the NTBF to close them and what the NTBF are really doing is making it very very unattractive to build them to maintain them to have them in place and why why like again I go back to the other night it was horrendous to stand in front of them but as, as, as will happen um, you know, when there's politics involved, it it will be it will be far worse by the time they uh, they take corrective action. Uh, out of fiscal need, these will close, and then there'll be huge tax incentives to open new ones. Absolutely, and then like oh, like and I just I, I'm just extrapolating here. I might I may be wrong, and I could have been wrong in the last figure, but I think it's between three and a half thousand and four thousand to, to for a dementia uh, Pacific or Pacific unit. But um, what I was going to say is like 120 million 
would be what we call, call, call uh, fix this problem for the for the nursing home sector. And you're talking about sixty five billion, sixty five billion of surplus. Like, are we not are we not in the place in our state? We like all the people in our our, our society are very important to us. We all recognise that. Okay, and as you mentioned earlier on, the crash situation, the childcare situation, these are two vulnerable groups. Okay, and need both need the right care and the right place at the right time. But like 120 million solves the problem in the private nursing home sector for the entire sector, and then the sector goes back and does its business like it has always done, right? And it does it 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 builds the relationships with the right with the people. Now, uh, you mentioned earlier on 600 euros of a difference. It's, it's closer to 800 euros at this moment in time of a difference between our nursing home and an average nursing home in the public sector. Like, 800 euros is a huge disparity, okay? But we're not asking for the 600 euros and on, on our nursing homes and the 14 nursing homes, and nor are any of the other private nursing homes. We're, they're asking for 183 euros to bring them up, to cover the cost. You mentioned earlier on on your show, the top of your show, about with Minister McGrath, about the, the increases of uh, heating, light, and so forth. And some of them numbers were 57. That's 57, right, yeah. 51%. And, and you're bearing all and those costs as well. We we have the same cost as any home. We have a mortgage uh, like anybody else has. We have to pay interest on that mortgage. We have to pay the cost. We You don't buy or build nursing homes where alone, okay? So it's a situation that you are, you have a joint partner, you you it's just a situation that everything for us has gone up like everybody else, but it's gone up in a multiple. And what what seems to me is that, that if, if, if this fails, if your initiative fails and you don't get fair treatment, it's going to cost the government, um, a.k.a. the taxpayer, um, ex- probably exponentially more to fix the problem in years to come than it will just to address this issue right now. Um, uh, we got Michael on line four. I think you'd probably enjoy this call more than you did the last one. Uh, Stuart, good morning, Michael. Sorry, line three. Uh, Michael, good morning. Hello, Mick. How are you doing? No, uh, your father about? is in Beaumont and has dementia. He does. And I'd just like to say, uh, Mick, that, you know, the last speaker I thought might have been a little critical, but uh, that m- my own father is extremely well looked after down in Beaumont and he has got dementia. He's four years there. Uh, you know, like like everyone, it's a fierce learning curve down there for all of us, really. You know, I, I'm not an expert by any means on dementia, but... Uh, I have to, you know, that he's been very well looked after down in Beaumont, and I couldn't uh, couldn't praise them more, really, you know. And uh, I just like to make it, a, 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 you know, a fairly level playing field, really, that he is well looked after. Okay, were, were you at that meeting the other night? I was, and there was people fairly upset, and I know the money situation hopefully will be sorted out for them, you know, and there was people quite upset. And it is a difficult situation because people, there is a lot of work in looking after dementia uh person you know and I, I do know that and they kind of falls and all sorts of things go wrong but you know just to say that uh, it, things in Beaumont they are well looked after. Them. Okay so who, well who will look after your father? Who will look after your father Michael if Beaumont can't afford to? Well I don't know what I, I suppose that, that's a difficult one to answer Mick because people a lot of uh, care homes might want them you know there's a lot of work in looking after one but uh you know, we got him in there and he's well looked after and I don't know what will happen. That's a, that's a catch-22 situation, Mick, to be honest, you know. Okay. We don't know. No. Uh, just just to say that in Beaumont at the moment, he's well looked after. That's all right, all Michael. Ta- ta- okay. Thank you for that. Another texture, Stuart, says, I know staff and management in Beaumont, nursing home, and they are fantastic, so professional and kind and caring. I've seen them in action. They're great girls 
and lads uh, working there. So where do we go from here, Stuart? What's the next step for you? So the next step is for me to, to, I suppose, to get somebody across the table and have a meaningful conversation. Like, Mike shouldn't be having to worry about this situation for his dad. Like, there's no way, and nobody should. There's no way somebody has to worry about this situation. We shouldn't have had to stand in front of 70-odd family members and, and, and a number of residents the other night and explain the situation. We shouldn't be forced to do that. So the most important thing is somebody actually comes and have a conversation with us and actually solves this problem. It's, it, it's not a long conversation. The maths stack up. We got, as you mentioned on top of your program and the introduction, is that we got PwC. They have the report. They understand the numbers. They, they accept, like, the, the numbers aren't, we we got an external body being PwC or same organisation to do it so the numbers are completely transparent and we all we want to do is continue to care for families and not to have to cause them any this, this I suppose un- upset look at I really really want to be able to go around our Cork homes and our Cork homes in Leinster and our homes in other in, in, in the home in Waterford as mentioned earlier on Dungarvan and not have to face into this situation again I just want the NTBF to come to the table for us and for the industry if I'm really honest and just accept this is the cost of care as they have done for as the HSE have done for public nursing homes they've accepted that the cost of care has increased exponentially and that there is an average of 183 euros in Cork and in all and like in other regions in the country and just accept the cost of care has gone up and just go right okay the cost of care has gone up pay it are, 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 are the private homes supported in any way by, by private health care insurance no not, no not to that extent no not to that extent it's mostly mostly fair deal that we're, we're talking about here like it, it like most most private nursing homes are running uh, with a fair deal system so, that's, so that's doesn't right. every elderly Irish citizen who needs to avail of the fair deal scheme have a constitutional right to equality well, this is what I would have thought. I would have thought that there would be no discrimination in the situation. I thought it would have been an equal and transparent situation. I've learned otherwise. Mm. And I'm very disappointed with that. I, I wonder if somebody could uh, fill us in on the, the 10 years since Kathleen Lynch uh, implemented that policy uh, about specific dementia care units and, and where we are with that today. Yeah, it'd be interesting to have that conversation. All right, okay. Uh, it's been enlightening, Stuart. I really do feel for your position. and uh, But I think having PwC involved, PricewaterhouseCooper, and as you say, the maths uh, and the emotion that's there. And, and if any politician doubts the power of this cohort of the demographic, uh, just think back to the water charges when those who were who were mobile uh, went out and demonstrated in the street. Uh, you know, when, when, when we're dealing with elderly people, we're dealing with families right back down to children. You're dealing with essentially the entire voting public here, potentially. Yes, I agree. And, uh, and like, as I said earlier on, I'm happy to meet any politician about this. I'm happy to sit across from anybody at any table. And I'm sure my colleagues would be the same. And, like, we're in a position that we want this solved. We want it solved for the, those in Bowman residential care. We want them solved for all our 14 nursing homes. We do not want to go through this experience. I definitely do not want to go through this experience on, on behalf of Care Choice again and on behalf of our residents. The only thing I'm interested in advocating on our residents and ensuring that they have stability in their lives and ensuring that they do not have to have any uh, upset, and nor their families as well, because it's not, it's not a nice place to be, to have to talk to families about this situation. I never want yeah. to be in this situation. Well, look, I'm, I'm grateful to Minister McGrath for continuing to make his time available to me when I'm, uh, as I'm not here that often, and sometimes, you know, I'm kind of asking him every time, uh, would you come and talk to me? And uh, it's often difficult, and we've had a few ding-dongs. It's, it's robust but fair, uh, is, is what we agree. Uh, but I'm happy 
uh, that we were able to get this uh, this conversation highlighted in front of a senior cabinet minister uh, and and hopeful that Beaumont will be the only one that has to make this threatened stand um, and, and that there won't be a domino effect here where it's going to... Be, because there's no winners if that happens. No, there's not. And you've seen in the Irish Times this morning that it's, it's, not, it's not about a group. There's single, single nursing homes across the, the state. There's, there's, a, there's nursing homes, uh, owner-operated nursing homes who have invested every, every penny they have and they're paying out of their own pocket at the moment to keep it open. They're, like, that's, what all of us, that's what we're all doing at the moment, is paying out of our pockets to keep this open mm. and to ensure that the standard of care is at a standard, that yeah. it's not dropped. Judges, so, st- judges stayed, by the way, it cares for its young and its old. Stuart yeah. Murphy, Care Choice CEO, thank you for your extended time. I hope it didn't take too much out of your morning. No, but it's, it's been enlightening. Thank you very much, thank Stuart. Bye bye. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086 810 Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. After news at 11, we're going to be catching up uh, on the story of the man who was sleeping in a slaughterhouse. We'll get some, uh, hopefully, some positive feedback on that. Uh, after 11 as well, we're going to be welcoming in the winners of the cash machine. So that's going to be very, very positive. After 11 as well, we're going to be giving away our Free Food Friday with Roosters Piri Piri in Douglas and Blackpool. If you want to get in on the action, uh, then you need to text or WhatsApp saying who you are, where you work, and why you want us to pick you on 086 106 So text or WhatsApp there. Feeding 15 people or so. Winners getting a selection of starters consisting of chicken wings, beef skewers, chicken skewers. Mm-hmm. The old Homer Simpson thing coming on there. A selection of mains, including chicken wraps, chicken pittas and beef burgers. All meats are basted in their famous medium piri-piri sauce. And they will also throw in piri-salted fries, rice, waffle fries, portions of uh, piri-mayo and garlic piri-mayo. And after all that, as a special treat to wash it down, you can build your own cheesecake with a selection of toppings like Kinder Buena sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella and lots, lots more. Uh, roostersperipiri.com is where you get all the details and you'll find them in Douglas and in Blackpool Free Food Friday for Bardsley Developments in Cove and also on-site EcoWall ICF and Rob Foster Groundworks all working hard and could do with a Friday treat they're building a house or houses somewhere uh, Hi Mick, would you please consider the staff at Lara National School in Bandon for Free Food Friday Thank you, this is Katie, the hungry gang at Classic Windows in Columny O'Leary O'Sullivan Developments working on-site in Nokraha would love a Free Food Friday lunch regards says Coleman Joe and the lads at Modern Tires Southlink Road, best in the business. Get the plug in there, lads. We would absolutely love Roosters today down here in AOC Commercials in Carrick Tool to celebrate Gary in the store's birthday. The complete upholstery centre and phone services and upholstery supplies on Barrick Street would love some Roosters. Keep up the great work and love the show, kid. Uh, I make all the lads in Oregon Tarmac and Oregon Quarry Products would love to in Free Food Friday. They're all working very hard today in Glenmire and are starving with the hunger. Uh, thanks very much. Cork City National Ambulance Service, please. Uh, no address on that one, but I'm sure we have it. Uh, Free Food Friday for the Blackrock Medical Centre. Doctors Miriam, Paula and Elaine. Sean Buckley, Audi. Uh, and Kevin Buckley in Boston Scientific. That's what the uh, German cowboy said, isn't it? Audi. Uh, O'Sheen and the gang in CQ Business Systems in Wilton. We'd love the Free Food Friday for my dad's company, Abbey Maintenance. It's all family working for him in uh, Mitchellstown. Sharon O'Brien is in Dornan Engineering Little Island. Keep up the great work. Uh, Cork City National Ambulance Service, please. Good morning to all the team at Red FM and happy Friday. Piri Piri Chicken is a real treat and would be sweet for all the guys and girls working hard at ECI JCB in Carrick Tool. Thanks and have a great weekend, guys. And the Powerboat Centre, or Powerboat Cork, I beg your pardon, here. Uh, we would love the free food to feed our hungry instructors 
who are here preparing boats for the busy season ahead. We will share with our neighbours in Cork Cleaning Solutions. You want to get in on the action? 0868104106. Text or WhatsApp us for Free Food Friday with Roosters Piri Piri in Douglas and Blackpool. News at 11 next. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. Nine minutes past 11 on this Friday as we head into the weekend. Let's check in on a story we covered before with Neil on the programme and uh, catch up on that story now with Kevin Galvin. Uh, hiya, Kev. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, we're almost through the end of the week. It's got flown. Yeah, it kind of, well, I was flown. missing one day. Thank you for filling in there. I had oh, a... yeah, it's my makeup. Yeah, um, I, I said I'd jump in just because um, we'll be speaking. I think you have Paddy O'Brien there um, on I one do. of your lines. I um, do. And we'll, we'll drop Paddy in here. John, uh, I think a lot of people have kind of wondered about John, who's living in the, who lived and is living still in the uh, in slaughterhouse. slaughterhouse. Yeah. So uh, a pal of his, Eddie, contacted us in January saying, uh, look, a pal, I have a buddy of mine. He's living in a slaughterhouse and uh, you know he's in a he's in a de- kind of desperate condition so I went out and visited it um, on the 31st of January and my god I was absolutely shocked by the condition of of the, of the place he was living in like it really was like it was a totally abandoned slaughterhouse the roof had caved in on a part of the farmhouse side of it um, all the implements that were used to, to kill and hang on and those were still there and he was you, you had me out he's living in a slaughterhouse yeah that's, that's, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you know I don't think it, it kind of stands up on his own doesn't it but um, but look I, I just and I, you'll be speaking to Paddy there Paddy's done absolutely Trojan work in terms of getting it through and we're we are almost almost there all so right. I'll let Paddy pick up from here. Paddy O'Brien, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Mick. Okay, do we have some good news on this Feel Good Friday? The, the, the news so far now, thank God, is this is that, uh, can I say originally that um, when I was told by the, by the council officials that um, this gentleman, man, John, was going to get the uh, allocated house, that informed me there was a long, long waiting list. So I'm not concerned at all about the list at this point in time, but at least at this moment, there are workmen in his house. So I think this could take place in, 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 the, uh, in the next few weeks. It's going to be great for him because he's looking forward to going into the house and be his first time ever, ever sleeping in a proper house for the last 42 years. And as he said to Al Prandville uh, on one of the interviews as he did, um, he said, I'm looking forward to making a cup of tea inside my own house. But I want to thank, I want to thank Red FM I want to thank Paul Byrne for putting, you know, to the, to the station and Nell Prendwell, right there, and Paul Byrne, they really got the message out there to the public. And thankfully, I must say, I want to thank the corporation as well because they were, he wasn't on any list. And they saw the situation, it was a desperate situation, a man living in appalling conditions for 42 years. Well, Paddy, can, we, can I interrupt you there to thank you because it was through your good offices uh, that you and John met the council and put the process in place, find, found a suitable place. It did need work done to bring it up to standard. I don't think anybody would begrudge the man after 42 years living, uh, well, not rough, but in, in, in substandard conditions, that he'd have a, finally have a place of his own. Uh, and some vetting went on, of course, to, to make sure that everything was in order. That's kind of where we last left it. Uh, but the workmen are now in. Can you tell us about that? The, the, the workmen are all in uh, cutting up what the necessary repairs and the next meeting then will be that the um, John, I'll bring John in 
on a, a, a date arranged by the uh, the council. We look at the situation, and it's, that this is the process. It's there and then that he will say, yes, I'm taking this house. Everything's up to, everything's up to date, and it's about maybe a week or two weeks after that, then that he will go into the house and be a, a, a resident there. But that, that that is where we are at this point in time. We're, we're down the road, which is a great thing. Regrettably, the, the, the vetting did take a long time, but I, I was told specifically, but the guard the vetting would take a long time, and it did, but no, thankfully... Guard the vetting can take months, Paddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it did, actually, yeah, because, you see, I suppose everybody coming to the country now are vetted. And anybody who wants to work in social care, social work, anyone dealing with children, anyone dealing with the elderly, they all have to be uh, vetted. I don't think there's a specific department for it. I think it falls to each uh, different region or whatever. So uh, God knows the guards have enough to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I mean, we know that. And John himself was prepared for the long wait as well. And uh, he's looking forward now to going into the house because uh, the, the gentleman who highlighted this uh, will be a neighbour of his. And only for that gentleman who contacted Red FM, we would never know about John. And there's great credit to have that man to come out. And I, I thank him. I won't mention his name, but I thank him over the air now, sincerely. Thank you, um, for making that call to Neil Prendeville. And I heard the conversation myself, and he rang me, and um, I, went to the, I went to the city council, and they were very, very, very helpful. I hear people criticising the housing department from time to time. I would have paid tribute to the housing department at, in, the city, in the city hall, and also was very helpful with the housing officers in, at uh, Nocknahini or Nocknahini. All right, Paddy, think, think things are moving along a pace, and I think the next photo opportunity may, may be John, Neil, you, Paul Byrne having a cup of tea in the house, yeah? That's it. That's it. And if you're good, you won't be in as well, Mick. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, Paddy, only to shine a light on your good works. Thanks a million, as always, for caring for not just yes. the elderly, uh, but yes. for those who need you in, the, in society. You have a big heart. Thanks very much, Mick. Thanks, Paddy. Thank, thank, thank you very much. Now, somewhat later than expected, and with apologies, I go to line one, and to the voice of motoring in Ireland, there is no finer. Connor Faulkner, good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for the introduction. That's very flattering. Those dulcet tones again uh, that often <laughs> represent the best interest of the hard-pressed motorists. Things have gotten a little easier. Fuel prices coming down? Yeah, there is some good news. Uh, fuel prices are coming down. Now, that's a relative term. They're still monstrously high compared to a couple of years ago, but they come down off their peak, and that's a good thing, feeling that in our pockets. If you scan the landscape for good news, um, motor insurance prices also came down again. So, um, you know, not all the arrows are pointing in the wrong direction for us, but, you know, there are... Uh, problems and concerns. Road safety is not having a good year and that's perhaps the most important stat of all. Road deaths are up and that's disappointing. Um, but yeah, a complicated landscape out there and renormalising we think post-pandemic across the piece. Yeah, okay. If uh, the uh, I, I'm not sure if the VAT reductions will be reimposed on us uh, now that there is a significant price drop uh, in fuel. Still some differences of course, pump to pump. Yeah, very much so. And still the consumer advice for as long as I've been talking about this is to shop around. Uh, just be in the habit of noticing prices. If you can see a five cent per litre difference, well, you know, that's two euros fifty every time you fill your tank. And that's well worth having in your pocket rather than uh, giving it to the oil company. Okay. Can, can I ask you just for a personal opinion on this one? Uh, there's often this mm-hmm. wives' tale or a Pichog, oh, no, I wouldn't buy pet- uh, petrol or diesel there. They get it from the north and it's watered down. That's why it's eight cent cheaper. That kind of thing. <laughs> Does that well, ha- can't it, happen, can it? it? 
No, not really. But in, there is a problem, or has been a problem historically, with fuel smuggling, um, which you know has been endemic in border counties in years gone by, uh, linked to criminality and all sorts of nasty stuff. The big problem was with laundered diesel, um, which had become a huge industry, removing the green agricultural dye from diesel, and. Um, uh, selling it as, as road fuel and that disposing of toxic sludge in lakes yeah, yeah. and all that. I, I wasn't picking on the north or, or, or smuggling per se. I was just saying that, mm. you know, there, between various brands, and let's not mention any, there are significant differences. Yeah. Uh, is well, is the fuel quality mandated to be the same? It is. Uh, all of those fuels now have to comply with very, very strict European auto oil directive um, requirements. And that covers everything from benzene content to um, lots and lots of, of, of complicated stuff about what is in a litre of diesel. Um, and standards are much higher than they used to be. Now, going back, say, 30 years ago, there were issues with dirty diesel, relative quality, a completely different world now, but that folk memory lingers. But if you buy a litre of diesel from a proper regulated outlet uh, diesel is diesel is diesel uh, all comply with European directives and all will work perfectly in your car so uh, those are problems of yesteryear I hope. Okay and from a government position of diesel is the way to go to now diesel is not the way to go it's electric uh, what's your position yeah. on that or your feelings? Well, it tells us a couple of things. Uh, firstly, it tells us that government incentives really can change the market. Um, it, it was the tax changes that made diesel the norm, um, which shows you that you know if government back electric cars, for example, we can increase the rate at which the fleet is replaced with electric. It shows what government can do. It also says that you know the best wisdom on what is the most environmentally sensitive way to do things. Well, that changes over time. You know, twenty years ago. There was much European concentration on diesel and on biofuels, um, but that came with problems of its own. And now the electric technology has come along in unforeseen leaps and bounds and now looks like the way to go. So we're sort of backing electric. Uh, will there be a technology change? Will we all be talking about hydrogen in 20 years time? I don't know, perhaps. Mm. Uh, but at least it's possible if we make car manufacturers spend their research money on it, it's possible to produce cars uh, that are minimally emitting in the case of electric to produce literally nothing out of the tailpipe so we can clean up the air in our cities and that is being done and it's great progress and we'll get to the stage i hope where the car isn't part of the climate conversation anymore and um, because we have essentially greened it um, and that's brilliant great great progress be nice to make similar progress under other headings in the climate okay, argument, and but at least the private cars doing things and I, i'll get to the ncc in a moment now i wouldn't accuse you of being mm. the jeremy clarkson of ireland but you are the <laughs> irish voice of authority on, on, on motoring and something that still perplexes me is I, I can't figure out is hybrid better than electric because you know the lithium ion ba- batteries the mining of that mm. uh, the, the, the shipping from uh, parts foreign of fossil fuels to run the dirty uh, you know electricity generating stations that provide us with yeah. essentially clean fu- fuel in electricity at the end of it but a dirty process to getting it um, you know hybrid makes sense electric maybe not so much until we clean up that supply chain, where do you stand on that, personally? Well, well, they all have their costs. Every solution you look to has its costs. And unfortunately, all human activity generates carbon. Uh, we live in a world 
sadly, that runs on diesel. Uh, and that's true right around the globe, everything from shipping, um, you know, there's an enormous aviation cost in fossil fuels, but then there's an enormous aviation dividend in terms of what it does for the world and society. So everything you do has a cost. If we want to have cars, and for the time being we do, um, how do you do that in the cleanest, greenest possible way? Uh, well, for the finished car, electric is beautiful. It's perfect. Uh, but in the scheme of things, if it's a, you know, a turf power, Tesla, then you're not solving the problem, are you? You're just moving it up the chain. And then there's also significant problems with lithium and other rare earth minerals. Um, and under all sorts of headings, their rarity and scarcity. Um, and the abuse of the, you know, the way in which lithium is mined, uh, in some cases, looks like the sugar plantations of, of, of 200 years ago and monstrous social injustices and environmental damage being done. So we're a long way from being perfect. But I like to be an optimist in these things. I think we are inching forward um, and look you know cynical optimism if you like but you know 20 years ago um, collectively we exploited the poor people of the planet treated them dreadfully in order to extract oil and burn it which damaged the planet um, where are we now well sadly still disgracefully exploiting uh, the poor people of the world um, you know still lots of abuses there um, but at least uh, producing technology that is less environmentally damaging and less climate damaging yeah, we're, because we're, amongst the human emergencies facing us uh, is damage to the climate obviously. We're cutting down 15 billion trees a year we're planting five so we're, we're very sensible aren't we? I know, um, and you know, very difficult to persuade people to follow long-term thinking, and that's just true for everybody, whether it's your daily grocery bill or you know, you're you're, you're planning for your children's future. Um, that the rational human being acts in their own best interests on a day-to-day basis, uh, even if as a collective we should be able to see that our collective best interest is better served by making sacrifices now. But do you know what? You could wish the human condition were different. Um, and, and preach accordingly or you can just you know, accept the fact that it is real human beings in a real messy world uh, and, you're, and you're better off actually making progress by increment um, rather than you know, wishing for a perfect world and therefore achieving nothing. Alright, Conor Fulton, thank you for that very discourse but we did bring you on to talk about something that is visibly <laughs> broken and, and, that, and that is the NCT. Now the huge mm. backlog of NCT and uh, you know, certificates running out of date uh, is a concern for many motorists at the moment. Is there any viable way to fix this backlog? Well, the backlog problem dates to the pandemic. Uh, Obviously, all NCT work stopped during the pandemic. And during that emergency, we extended the validity of the certs. There were lots of emergency measures taken right around the globe during the pandemic. And that's one of the things we did. We can't keep that going long term. Pandemic left us with a large backlog of vehicles to be tested and they've never caught up. Their problem currently is they're desperately short-staffed. They're looking for technicians, desperately trying to recruit them. They've gone as far afield as Spain and the Philippines even trying to recruit technicians. They haven't been able to get on top of the backlog. So that means there's a lot of cars with out-of-date NCT certs. That's messy. We do need to fix it. I think we have to fix it by getting on top of the backlog. Um, I know that Cork County Council came up with a suggestion that we should just extend, give two-year NCT certs to all cars uh, and thereby reduce the requirement for testing. You know, you, you, you 
you could make an argument for that. I'm sorry, but the point is moot. It's against the law. We, we are obliged to test cars. It's a European road safety norm right around the continent. We, we have to get our act together and do it. So back to the challenge faced by Atlas. They have to recruit technicians. They are the ones with the challenge, and, and I sympathise. I'm not pretending it's easy. But the way this gets, fi- gets fixed uh, is that they fix it. Uh, we, we can't simply take a pass on important road safety uh, legislation and important road safety procedures uh, just just to muddle through a gap. Yeah, I, I, I was talking um, to a, a mechanic, Connor. I, I, as far as I can remember, he was from Brazil. Uh, he wasn't working in the NCT, but he knew 20 of his mechanic countrymen who had come in here and gotten their work visas, but they were dispersed into different NCT centres, you know, making individual costs on them for living and all that kind of thing. It can't be the highest paid job in the world. Would it not be, would it not be more beneficial to put maybe six in one centre, uh, eight in another, and, you know, the, the remainder in another instead of just dispersing them singly? Yeah, well, you know, that's how Atlas, the NCT people, have to manage their resources. And they do have a complicated job to do. And to be fair, and I think we should be fair on this, you know, black mark, they haven't got on top of the backlog issue and it's really having repercussions. But more broadly than that, the Irish test is conducted very well. Uh, it, it's benchmarks very, very favourably against other tests internationally. It is incidentally much better than the British MOT system. British MOT system is a much older system. The Irish system generally at good times works very well and is managed well. And, you know, they score well on everything from customer service to quality of output. The standards are good. They have a specific problem. Um, And look, Maybe there are ways in which, if the problem is attracting technicians, well, as I scratch my chin here, you could pay them well. Um, you know, that might be a way. Um, so I, 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 there, there may be means, they may need support in doing it. Uh, you know, perhaps they need an additional financial resource. That's not without precedent. We had a similar problem, the backlog in driving tests in years gone by. And, you know, they got specific extra resource to, you know, outsource some tests um, and find a, find a way to get on top of the backlog. So um, I, I, I'm not convinced that there are no solutions out there, but I'm pretty convinced convinced that of the solutions available, ditching road safety law is not a good one. Okay. It's not a temporary basis. We have many of the uh, motor manufacturers guaranteeing their cars. Now, I think of Kia in, in particular. Uh, many of their vehicles are, are kind of guaranteed by the manufacturer for seven years. Yet we require them, uh, you know, not for year one, two, three, up to year four. Uh, when it's four years old, we bring them into the NCT system. Would extending mm-hmm. that to maybe five, maybe five and a half or six years, take those necessary tests out of the system and allow more concentration on the backlog? Well, debatable, debatable, but moot, because it's all laid down in European law. The the British MOT starts when a car is three years old. European standard is laid down in law. It starts when cars are four-year-old. There's no real need to test a car that's younger than four. Do you need to test a five-year-old car? Mm, you know, probably not. Maybe, certainly, you could kind of get away with it, could you? Um, but you know, things go wrong on cars. Headlights go out of alignment. A car that's poorly maintained. Um, you, you know, and the way you make sure it doesn't happen is that you check them. Um, so, so mandatory, you have to go mandatory full service, Connor. Mandatory full service by a registered mechanic uh, with all of the, again, attend- the attendant invoice and all the detail that was done should surely carry yeah. over into year five or six. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe into year five or six. And as I say, you could debate where you draw the line, but that debate's over. The line's drawn at four years, and that's laid down in European law. Mm. Um, and again, the solution isn't to change road safety law. You could debate that, but you know the debate's over. Um, and, and you know, even if you could achieve it, uh, the model that you suggest again makes perfect sense and could work. It's essentially what was done with the MOT originally. Uh, you know, the so, but. That led to conflict of interest. The same garage that was servicing your car provided its MOT cert. Well, that's not good, um, it, even just as a structure. Uh, so, you know, are the Irish MOTs a more modern design? It's, it's you know, it's an independent outsourced test um, and, and it's fit for purpose and it works well. So, you know, we're, we're looking, I think, at, at solutions to the wrong problem. Um, the problem that we have is a backlog, a rump backlog, causing a blockage in the system that they can't seem to get on top of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so how do we solve that? Do we give them a one-off pass on the backlog? Um, an amnesty for cars, just for the backlog. Speaking of which, uh, where, where do we stand with the traffic core uh, and indeed at, you know, traffic checkpoints for tax or whatever? If they notice your NCT is out of date, what do you legally need to have? If you don't have a valid uh, NCT cert, you need to show you have a validity uh, or assert a validity for for an approved appointment. Yeah, a couple of things. Your primary responsibility is your car must be in good condition. If your car's not roadworthy, NCT doesn't come into it, you're at fault. In terms of the NCT, you're obliged to display a valid NCT cert. The primary law says you're obliged to do your NCT. The regulations subsequently say you must display the cert. Now, that regulation currently is in abeyance. You, if, you, if you don't have a valid NCT cert, but you are in the queue for a test, uh, then both Gardaí and your insurance company will ignore the fact that you don't have a valid cert. That's temporary. That's a COVID hangover and it's a bit of a workaround, but it's fine. It doesn't cause a problem day to day. Um, but the primary responsibility worth restating, it's nothing to do with NCTs. You are obliged to make sure that your car is in good condition. Uh, the state provides a test to check that and you must do the test, but it doesn't change yours being the primary responsibility. So if you smoke, smoke vomiting out the back of your car or your brakes are wonky or you've bald tyres uh, don't bother complaining about <laughs> NCT delays, you're at fault. Alright, one final one, I know, I know this kind of wasn't on our agenda I believe that people in the second hand car trade are finding it difficult to get stock and that mm -hmm. uh, second hand cars are inordinately higher in value now uh, than they would have been why is that? Yep, they are. Uh, short answer is car manufacturing globally shut down almost stopped during COVID um, and, and those supply chains took time to spin up again so there was a shortage of cars couldn't get new cars uh, now that's nearly resolved things are back up to speed but it has led immediately to a shortage of second hand cars a uh, small example the Irish car harsh lease in 2019 was 21,000 vehicles it drops down to 10,000 vehicles um, and normally when a hire car is sold at the end of the season it becomes a car available in the second-hand car market. Um, so that added to the fact that similar factors meant there was a shortage of second-hand cars in the UK. Uh, it just meant that there were fewer second-hand cars available and the price went up. That is still with us and will be with us, I would suggest, for perhaps another year or two um, before 
you know, the last of the pandemic effect has fully washed out. But the real thing that has caused all these ripples everywhere else is global car manufacturing damn near stopped for two years and took time to spin up again. Um, and, and it is the outpourings of that that uh, have, have caused some of these distortions. Okay, let's, but let's, definitely true. Let's finish, cars okay, let's finish on, the, on the insurance thing. If the pandemic taught us mm-hmm. one thing, Conor Faulkner, it's to shop around for insurance. Uh, are the insurance providers now finally um, taking cognizance of the fact that they should be looking after those who've been with them for years and not allowing them to shop around rather than increasing their prices? Uh, no, in a word, I, I, I don't think that is happening uh, and you could debate the extent to which it should uh, but what is happening is that the price is coming down uh, and ultimately the consumer cares a lot about that when insurance prices are going up it becomes a hot button political issue when we all discuss the ongoing reforms and are they on track or are they not uh, when the price is trending downwards the political temperature comes out of it a little bit. At the moment prices are trending downwards, motor insurance prices are down over the last two years and in fact more broadly they're down over the last four or five years so great um, but there is still dysfunction in the market Irish insurance is still too expensive insurance companies don't get me started do have their flaws um, and there's also other dysfunction in the system personal injury claims still a problem in Ireland still out of whack with everywhere else in the world to everybody's cost still a disproportionate legal industry involved in something they shouldn't be involved in at all but making loads of money out of it. Uh, So plenty still going wrong. And I'm not convinced that all of those structural problems are fixed. Um, But at least uh, at the moment, prices are trending down. Um, So on that sort of short-term basis, the consumer is reasonably happy. So when when it's not a political hot point, it is a hot point for people. It behoves them to shop around. Prices are coming down. Shop around. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, that is certainly true of motor insurance. And and that is an area of specialisation for me. I worked in the industry for 30 years. But more generally, it's every bit as true from lots of the things we do. Your, your energy bill, your broadband, uh, you know, where do you get your sports channels from on the telly? You know, for most of us, most of the time, sit down with a pen, uh, spend that half an hour on the websites, scratch your chin, phone the number, um, and kick the shins of your provider, and you'll definitely get a better deal. And that's good consumer advice everywhere. And it is definitely, definitely true uh, in motor insurance. And as I say, I should know. I was both poacher and gamekeeper in that industry <laughs> for 30 years. <laughs> well, what, what, is your, what is your position and your gainful employment these days, Connor? Well, I'm self-employed, uh, which is is in, in, encouraging, and it means I can pick and choose my hours. So I, I'm not on the corporate roller coaster that I was on when I was full-time in the AA. Um, so I'm advising a number of private clients, and I'm doing a little bit of media. Uh, and I will say I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I have an office here at home and um, can pick and choose my hours. I, I wind up being rather busy, um, but, but preferring um, this sort of... Uh, mixed portfolio of things to do. So, Fantastic. Uh, you know, there's life after the full-time job. Oh, and so say all of us. Uh, Con- Connor Faulkner, uh, you are verifiably the voice of motoring in Ireland and I hope it <laughs> continues to serve you as well as you serve the motoring public. Thank you very much for taking our call today and shedding some light on those good. issues. Thank you, Connor. Thank you. Cheers, bye-bye. Uh, that is Connor Faulkner there. That's news to me. He was self-employed and very best of luck to him. Now we're going to have some very special guests in studio between now and 12 o'clock. I wonder who they could be. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. A story we're keeping across uh, on the programme is Marie's self-build. Now, very quickly, Marie is building her own house out by the viaduct. Single woman. 
uh, in her 30s. So trying to afford a mortgage was just too much. So decided to build her own house herself. So good morning to you, Marie Self-Build. Morning, Mick. How are you? Can we call you that? Yeah, sure. Look, I'm, I'm known, uh, known as that on Instagram, so I might as well just continue with now at this stage. Okay, you've had sometimes a... I do, I, sometimes a, I do feel like I'm building the house. Bit of a medical intervention. You broke your wrist. Yeah, I fell. I missed a step and uh, broke my wrist. Absolute disaster. I'm yeah. laid up now the last week. Tried three bones in your ankle. Oh, no, you did not. Yeah, <laughs> ten weeks ago. Yeah, oh, and uh, recoup. Oh, around. Uh, anything else? I don't think there's anything left on Netflix, and I don't watch telly per se. But there you go. Uh, I'm oh, on, oh, on the road to recovery. Now. Physio yesterday into CUH, and I'm bouncing around. Uh, now you were on you last, fe- last February. You're building your own house because it's too expensive to build. However, yeah. you do work in Cork Builders Providers. Yes. And the doors and door section. So you have good contacts there. Yes. Well, Dan, in general, because I've been there for twelve years. Dan so Toomey and Dave Heaven be two of them, would they? Yeah, they're the best. Yeah, they, and they are, every everyone. They are absolutely the best if, if, you, if you're trying to do a deal and, and very logical. Um, so yeah, okay. So you've been putting. Well, they're very good people in general. Like that's, you know, that's not just me. Exactly what I wanted to say. They, they've been very generous to uh, not just listeners of this program, but uh, you know, if people in, in need as well, if they need a yeah. favour. You can always rely on Dan or Dave to uh, to be in your corner. Now, you obviously have good contacts in the trade. How is the build going? Good and like I'm surprised in one way because the weather has been against us. Like March was brutal. Like wet as March on record, I believe. Yeah. So to be fair to the the block layer, like he has been in and out with you know working away, and that's like almost complete now. So I'm in my head. I'm ahead. Like I didn't think the roof would even begin to start till June. So that started like since last week. Yeah, but the, the so logistics of a self-build, you're essentially self-building and trying to coordinate the trades. Uh, the yeah. real mental hassle, really, is in the coordination of the trades. You might have a bit of an advantage there, though, do you? Yeah, like, that's the hardest part, definitely, like, trying to communicate with different people and make sure the next person is ready to start and then not, you know, you know, getting one ahead of the other one kind of thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But... um I'm surprising myself. I'm doing more than I thought I could do. <laughs> okay, you're a single woman. You know, I'm, not, I'm not relying on people in work as much as I thought I would. Like, Okay, S- single woman in your 30s, but this is still, even though you were gifted the land, were you still going to cost you about, what, 240 grand to build? Oh, definitely, yeah. And that's before you add your uh, creature comforts. 100%, sofas and yeah, and like, this is the thing, like, uh, that's the reason, like, I would not be able to, to buy a house on my own. Um, because they'd be double that, like. And it's so, a dorm, it's a dormer, so you do have two story, but not essentially a, a two story house. You have some rooms upstairs. Yeah, it's in the nice attic. little three bedroom dormer bungalow. Yeah. Okay, and when do you hope to be in it? Normally takes what about some some houses yeah. are built in uh, what fourteen sixteen weeks? How long will it take you? Are you serious? Well, maybe, maybe Don't tell me that now. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe the timber-framed ones in the States. Oh, yeah, because I thought you were going to say like 14 or 15 months. Um, I started kind of the, the, the build part in January, um, and I was saying, oh, I'd love to be in before Christmas. So you'd have to be in by Christmas, yeah. But but you know what, Mick, as the time is going on, maybe I shouldn't say that, and I should say Easter, just to make myself a little bit Yeah, less so you won't miss it. And if you're in it, it'll be a bonus. Exactly. It'll be a nice surprise. Yeah, so, um, and as regards the progress, um, do, have you learned? Do you have the expertise for first and second fix and all that thing? 
Yeah, so when I started, I was like, I really don't have a clue. But when I was in the middle of it, I realised I actually know more than I thought. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Because I'm in Fort North, so I wouldn't be dealing with any building materials and all of that. But um, the, the pla- like, actually, you know, there's someone coming out today, the doctor is coming out today now to look at us, and he's going to be asking me questions. And he, he's probably going to be asking me about insulated slabs now and what insulated slab I need. So I need to find all that information out now before he comes. You know what I mean? So yeah, I know I have a little... You, you can defer to your colleagues and workmates on that. Yes, I have a little list now in my my diary here in front of me so we'll I know keep, what I'm going we'll to be keep asking. in touch with you. Can, can, I, can I just make you always aware of one phrase that you should be aware of? Um, Go on. Because it costs a fortune uh, if you use it all the time for the sake of it. Will I get a bath or will I get a jacuzzi? Ah, I'm only going to do it <laughs> once. I'll get a jacuzzi for the sake of it. When you're 50 or 100 grand, uh, none the wiser, for, and out of pocket for, for the sake of it, uh, just beware of that. Uh, just get I know, yeah. I, I could be saying that for a lot of things, couldn't I? Yeah, get just get in and uh, once once it's habitable... And work, you, on, work you, on the rest of it then. It well, I do I do on my L-shaped couch, so if I can get that, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> okay, gotta go. I'll forget about everything else. Thanks, Marie um, Southfield, and we will keep in touch on the programme. Thanks yeah. a million. Cheers, Thank bye-bye. You, okay, I want to nominate Wiser Bins in Middleton for the food. Kate, one of our staff members, leaving today. She does an excellent job. Um... Studio's getting inhabited now, so don't worry about the background noise. Hey, Red FM, my name is Christina Mullane. I'm working in Ravenscourt Mental Health Services uh, in St. Finbar's as a mental health nurse. Big team of us here, all at Caps Airport Parking with Love Roosters, Piri Piri. Uh, hi, Mick Vincent, Adam and all the team at Boxed Self Storage. Uh, hi, Vincent, Monaghan Road Business Park, great new facility there. We'd love to be fed on Free Food Friday. Have a great weekend, says Vincent. Free Food Friday for all the hardworking staff at Union Hall Smoked Fish. Great show, Northside Tires. On the old Mallow Road, uh, would love to win lunch, please. Keto Products, thanks, Mick. Have a great weekend. Free Food Friday for Dynarod. We're setting up for a party here, folks. Hi, Mick. Holly here from the pharmacy department in the Mercy Hospital. Could we please, please win Free Food Friday? Eleven of us here in the department. Roosters, please, from Balancholic Tesco Home Delivery Drivers, especially Barry, who has a handy one again. Uh, Free Food Friday for Striker Spring Hill NS Cell in Carrick Tool. AP Vaughan Skip High, regular contributors would love to win the Free Food Friday. Jero Sullivan and all working at ENG Tech in Mallow working hard, we'd love to win it as well. Free Food Friday for all the staff at Old Care Late Night Pharmacy in Wilton, Accounts Department, Rochester Park Hotel, Urban Retreat, Hair Salon in Broderick, uh, Street Middleton, many, many more coming in. Uh, my uh, my son's workplace, Brooks Timber and Building Supplies in Napala Duff, Piri Piri Friday. And uh, hi Mick, Bronx here, working hard with the Hepburn Professional Group in Pipeline, Little Island. We're starving. Free Food Friday for Mark and the crew at Tidy Mechanical Repairs in Ballycoreen. I hope we're lucky for the day that's in it. I'd like to put the hardworking staff at Beaumont Nursing Home forward for Free Food Friday. They dedicated their lives to looking after all the patients and family. Uh, give us a shout out. We'd love Free Food Friday treats. Uh, South Infirmary, that's Colette. Uh, love Free Food Friday for our two family businesses, a two for one deal. Noreen's Hair Studio in White's Cross. And uh, there's so many people. Second business is Sean O'Leary, Ashling, and all the staff and accounts at Easy Living. And Argus and Man Point uh, would love lunch for a great team. We'll give that away between now and 12. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818 104 106. And we have some very special guests in studio. There are balloons everywhere. We'll be getting pictures out on social media and all that kind of thing. Welcome, Stephen Ring and. Is that your phone ringing? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, we, can, we can't take you anywhere. 
That's people probably trying to congratulate you. Good morning, Helen. Good morning. At, le- at least you didn't bring the phone with you. No, no. <laughs> we had it all day yesterday. <laughs> I can imagine. All afternoon. Pe- people shaking your hand, looking for a bit looking of the, the luck to rub off. Yes, yeah. I-, I believe you're huge Neil Prendival Show fans. We are. We are. Okay. It's, a sh- it's a shame he's away, but I'm sure he'll... He'll send you good wishes as well on, from his Holliers. But I'm delighted to be here to welcome Thank you, you in. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, uh, you, you listened to the uh, cash machine number yesterday. Yes, Mick. Yeah. You, you had it exactly. You're holding a huge cheque in your hot yeah. little fish. Uh, I'm sure you remember how much it's for. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I always wonder what would happen if you went into a, a bank with that cheque. I mean, it's obviously not a, it's not a legal cheque. It's more for display purposes. Uh, yeah, but yeah. can I ask you, why are you here? Did you not trust us to send out the money? <laughs> I was asked from my email address me and I didn't have one so to that I volunteered to pass my bank details and stuff out yeah. to the studio here you can, know Can I salute you I'm, I'm often sorry I indulged in that technology myself so you don't have an email address we, I said, haven't we, said, we said we'd invite you in now I heard you recently bought a mobile home in West Cork but a lot of that still had to be paid for had it? Certainly That's right <laughs> is, is it kind of covered now? Yeah. A little bit now. Pa- okay. <laughs> Any other plans for the huge windfall that's coming away from the cash machine on Goal Out? I haven't really, Mick. I suppose but, uh, we have this mobile home in West Cork and uh, we really enjoy it for those horror holidays, you know? Okay. And, uh, it's so convenient. It's only an hour away and to get there, it's very handy. And to have this check to pay for it is a great bonus. Okay, let me, let me revisit some of the excitement for you, okay? Have a listen to this. Uh, I'm sure it'll be replaying in your minds anyway. Go on, Stephen, let's get down to business here. 40,547 and 14 cents. <laughs> it's correct. Well done, <laughs> <laughs> really, really made my day. My wife's head is here next to me at the moment. I'm taking the cash. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you can hear everything because we've, uh, we have you with the headphones on. Some very <laughs> special congratulations coming your way right now. <laughs> Hi Stephen, hi Helen, this is Neil Prendival checking in from the Greek island of Crete. I hear the sun is shining in Cork this morning and I wish it was there. It's shining extra bright for you both today. You've got an extra 40,547 reasons to be smiling. And I'm so delighted with your big win on Red FM's cash machine yesterday. Uh, Some of the family have been in touch to say you're great parents and I hear that all of the neighbours out your way say that you're terrific people to know as well. So I'm really delighted for you. Um, Everybody is. 40,547 euro and 14 cent it's an incredible amount of money and a little bird tells me that you're getting a brand new mobile home down in Ona Hinsha which is absolutely fantastic news big listeners to the radio show I'm told so thank you for that listen I'd love to chat with you uh, when I'm back over in Cork or better still uh, maybe knock on your door down in Ona Hinsha to your beautiful new mobile home that you'll be buying with the cash machine win um, have the kettle on, guys. I'm really delighted for you. Congratulations to you both. Richly deserved. Uh, talk to you all soon. Take care. Okay, so... Uh, thank you, Neil, very much. Well, thank he, you. he wasn't live, but because uh, he's in Hollyers, but we, yeah. did, we did get him to record that. That's so very good, especially for you. Nice. So. That's very, very, very I th- good. I think we're almost complete. Banking details exchanged. Money on the way. Money yes. <laughs> very happy now. But you're, you're going to keep listening anyway, aren't you? Oh, oh of course. yes. <clears throat> would, would, would it tempt you to see if lightning could strike twice and you might win again? I actually know a former work colleague of mine won on the cash machine and uh, I just texted her, you, you know, congratulations, I hope it brings lots of joy. Uh, and I imagine 
they're nice texts to get, but you'll also get any chance of a loan kind of text, will you? Yes. That's the <laughs> <laughs> so, so be careful with it. I know because I've got some texts, uh, especially from your son, that you've got a large and extended and loving family uh, who are really wishing you the best with this. You haven't had the best of time health-wise. No, no, no. no, no. Thank goodness. I'm out and about again. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, this will put a, a, a spring in, back into your life, will it? Oh, oh definitely, definitely. Oh, God, Mick, yeah. it's a great boost, really. Once we were helped, Mick, we'd be very happy. Yeah. And how, how long are you retired, Stephen? I am retired since 2006. I retired, uh, Mick. And uh, I worked 48 years in the same job, you know. Okay, where was that? Walked down at Denny's Cross in, in the Ford dealers there. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's long gone now, of course. Well, that, yes, was, yeah. that was one of the Ford centres of Cork. That's right, yeah. No? And so, uh, th- this will certainly put uh, roses on the on the, uh, on, on the retirement. So outside of the uh, outside of the mobile home, what's the what's the bigger plan here? I just make this. You know, I just look after our family, and uh, we have four four grandchildren as well. You know, so yeah, they'll be all coming for a <laughs> donation. So. Well, spread it around. Holy Friday, the first little grandson. So we have. We'll all, we're all meeting, so we'll have a great day. So no, no Prosecco is going to be uh, Moe Shandon, is it? Hopefully we can. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank, lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks Neil sends his best. And, and, and stay listening. Thank you so much to you both. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Free Food Friday giveaway time at Rooster's Piri Piri in Douglas. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hello, Mick. How are you keeping? Very good. Now, your driver apparently always uh, texts in for you guys, but he said, I'm not going to make enough noise on my own. Let's put you through to the office. And that office is Keto Products in Little Island. Uh, And you're all there. We're going to feed you, 15 of you, uh, with, uh, and I'm sure you know the the drill here, chicken wraps and burgers and pitas, salted fries, rice, waffle fries and mayo and garlic puree mayo and all the cheesecake, Kinder Bueno and all that kind of stuff as well. What do you do in Keto Products? Uh, we make uh, salads for supermarket delis, you know, coleslaw potato salad, that, uh, oh, so that type of stuff, you know. Oh, so sort of keto diet stuff, is it? Uh, yeah, yes, well, you could say it is diet Or is it keto? Yeah, yeah. Is it keto or keto? Keto, we call it keto. So I'm right. Well, well done. Make a bit of noise for us, your Free Food Friday winners with Roosters Piri Piri. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks a million. Where's the noise? On you, boy, uh, thanks a million. Thank, thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. Okay. Uh, time to wrap up the program today. Now I want to finish with this. Playing a gig tomorrow at the Ballycotton Sea Church, eight thirty p.m. is Mark Capeless. He is a multi-award-winning songwriter and producer, credited to tracks with internationally renowned artists, including Jamie Lawson, Don Diablo, many, many more, including Ryan O'Shaughnessy. Um, he launched a new EP called "I Hope You Find Happiness." It's an uplifting song with a poignant message of support for those affected by emigration and loss. We want to give away tickets uh, to the gig. Mark has dedicated the work and we're going to play in right now to the memory of his mother Deirdre who passed in January this year and was present in the front row at his uh, Dublin show in May. So if you want to get texting uh, then you can do so right now. So oh, we're going to, sorry, we're going to open the lines, I beg your pardon phone and uh, you can, we'll take caller 9, 10 and 11, three pairs of tickets 0818 104 106. Forgive me, it's been a busy one. Uh, you can get uh, calling right now 0818 104 106 from Mark Capeless, who's going to be playing tomorrow evening at Sea Church in Ballycotton, 8.30 p.m.
And Mark Capelis joins us on line two with the song playing in the background. Hi, Mark. How are things? Top of the morning here. Very good. Uh, commiserations and sympathies uh, on your recent loss, but uh, do you find some solace in the music, Mark? Indeed, yeah. Um, yeah, look, it, it was a very, it's been a tough time for all of us, but uh, I know my mum was my number one fan and completely determined for me to keep doing what I love to do. So, yeah, really glad and to dedicate the work. Um, the new EP is called Brighter Side of Sorrow. That's available for uh, pre, pre-sale now, but the new single, I Hope You Find Happiness, you can hear it in the background. Is, yeah, I, I'd, is love to play, I'd love to play it in full, but by pure chance, uh, we, we had winners in studio taking away over 40,000 from the cash machine, and uh, we had to give them the, t- uh, the time they deserved and respected as well. But I'm happy to play it in the background. What sort of a gig can we expect tomorrow night at Sea Church? Great venue. Ah, oh, beautiful. I love Sea Church. Um, tomorrow, look, I, I'm a chirpy, easygoing kind of lad, but I love giving a bit of, like, Energy is an important thing for me, so just if you come along to the show, you can expect a bit of crack, a bit of a laugh. Sure, you, you might have an old cry or two if you want as well. We've got it all. Because mu- music can do that to you. Now you played the Boroughs, your family down Clonakilty way as well. That's another brilliant venue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Boroughs is a beautiful spot. Yeah, I've got cousins in, in Cork, Michael, Paul, David, Clara, loads of them, so... The campuses are, we, we've got a strong old Cork connection. All right, brilliant. We've got three winners uh, and their partners and guests uh, heading your way tomorrow night at Sea Church Bally uh, Cotton taking place. Uh, the gig starts at uh, 8.30 p.m. Uh, I'm sure it's been a good one. Great to have you on the show to play out. Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much. Thanks have a million. A That's Mark Capeless. You'd have a great day too, sir. The time is just turning 12 o'clock. That's week one of two. And uh, back again on Monday morning just after uh, news at 9 o'clock. And my thanks to our show's producers, Kevin Galvin, Seamus Wheelahan and Claire O'Connor. This is Mick Mulcahy bidding you a great weekend and talk to you Monday morning. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.